hassle for Bill Wise. Was he ever in charge of that stuff? Yeah, he was a jack-off. Was it hard getting the boys to listen to you with all the new rules? Yeah, sure. It was not so much the rules. They didn't mind the shit the boys could do. It was just the turmoil of certain guys that had big, fat contracts that weren't doing anything. Or guys that you needed to get rid of. Right. You just didn't need them. Or guys that were on roids and raging and, and hurting people Scott and stuff like that. Yeah, Scott, Scotty Steiner, uh, Rick Steiner, I think, is a quality guy. Did you get along with Bill Watts? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got along with Bill. He was great to me. He was a fucking prick. Scotty uh, is not near, to me, he's a legend in his own mind. And he's a problem. He's a real problem because he doesn't mind. He'll, he'll hurt people. Wahoo told me he was, you know, he's a piece of shit. Bill had his son, and Eric Russell, Arn Anderson, and he did something and it hurt Arn. And my brother was pissed, so he went in and confronted Bill to his face. He was a fucking prick. Uh, he was pushing his son a lot, you know. And it was like, man, his son would come in like just destroy everything that. I mean, he put Arn Anderson in a, his uh, a move in a parking lot when they were trying to. It was just, it was ridiculous, man. It was like. So, so Scotty Steiner was a problem. He intimidates the shit out of him, and he's just not that good. He was just an old piece of shit that wanted to say that he was tough at one time. And but did you and Bill Watts ever come to like a? Oh yeah, I, no, I called him out, you know. And I remember he tried to take the belt back from Scott Steiner, and Scott wouldn't give it to him. So Scott had it at TV, had to build at TV, and Scott used to always bring his dog. He had a pit bull named Arnold, and Arnold would sit by Scott's bag, and you know, nobody went to that bag. I seen them make that dog. He almost ate up Tommy Rich one time, but they pulled him off. He was a fucking prick. You think you were speaking for a lot of guys? Or oh, I know I was, you know, and I was, you know, you know. How'd he respond to that? Tail between the legs. So. So you didn't get along with him. No. Well, he was just an asshole, you know. He was a fucking prick. But they 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 sicked him on Tommy Rich. But uh, Bill Watts tried to take that belt, and he told Bill Watts, "Well, go and get it. It's right there in my bag." And Arnold was sitting that belt right there. And I don't think Scott gave it to him. He might have that belt today. And he was pissed off, and he was gonna. They were gonna go at it. And then, you know, some of the uh, office administration people from Ted Turner come in, and they stopped it. Well, then. That's when the writing was on the wall. It was time we, we needed to go, and that's how we, my brother. They said they were going to renew mine, but they didn't renew my brother. Well, I wasn't going to do anything unless I deal with my brother. So we went. And he wanted to outshine his brother, which I didn't want him doing. I wanted Rick to be the the, the key guy because I knew I could count on him. But Rick is more loyal to blood than to, to anything else. Plus, you know, the guys were right in the long run because I did. I wouldn't go last there, and they and they knew they were going to get. get Here's a, Piece of shit. Anybody uh, he, he fucked himself, you know, he's a freaking idiot. He was a fucking prick. Alright, guys, welcome back. It's the New Blood Rising podcast. It feels so good to be saying that again. Uh, it's been a while, and we're not going to get, we don't have to get too much into the reason of the delay. It's, I, uh, a lot of things changed since this podcast started. I have added on three family members, so that has, uh, you know, that that creates some issues. So we we had we had my daughter in August, and it's you know the build up to it, and <laughs> the build up to it, and after it, you know, it 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 creates some delay. And and Jay and 
it's going to be an interesting pot today because it's it's me, William Rankin, and it's Charlie Stabile on the other line. How you doing, man? Clandestine. <laughs> and uh, noticeably absent, though, will be Jason. Jason Keesler for maybe the next few shows because they, he got a, he's gotten a really good job. His previous jobs, I'm not going to throw specifically their names under the bus, so they weren't very good. They were awful, and I'm glad he's in a better place when it comes to uh, his work. Unfortunately, it does create a, a weird kind of scheduling conflict for us that we haven't had where it's like we're one of us will be out for a, a you know a considerable bit of time. But regardless, we're gonna we're gonna try and keep finagling and try and find a way to to make it work. Jason will be back in his regular capacity in the near future. We'll just we'll just have to see when that happens. Today though, me and Charlie are going to be digging into Beach Blast 92. But beforehand, how you doing, man? You doing good? Oh yeah, I'm doing really good. <clears throat> I looked in the mirror today. I wasn't upset. Uh that's always a good thing. <laughs> You're, what what's And the, this is before I, I, back, I get back into DDP yoga. <laughs> <laughs> What's, what's I'm trying to think of the last Boy Scout line. It's like it's like uh, nobody likes you, everybody hates you. You're gonna lose. Smile, you fuck. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, yeah. But no, everything's going great on so, my end. <clears throat> well, right on, man. And I, I'm 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 glad we're back into this because we got one thing we've been talking about off air is just like man, we just got to get trucking through this season because we still have. A ways to go before we reach the end. We're in season five, from Sting to Hogan, and it, it's and we're kind of stuck. We've been stuck here in '92 here for a bit, but now we're gonna start getting back on track with a little bit more regular activity. All right, so before we get started here, I just want to talk real quick. Two quick topics I want to run by with Charlie here, kind of in the beginning about current things going on in pro wrestling. Crown Jewel is happening again. It's happening in October. I'm not sure if it's near Halloween or not, but Taker, Undertaker's been, I think has been confirmed for it as well as Hulk Hogan. It brings into question now, once again, this thing that's been leering its head now for well over 10 years. Charlie, are we going to do, are we going to do Sting versus The Undertaker at Crown Jewel? Well, unfortunately, with the way the last couple of shows have gone, I'm conditioned to believe that if if it was ever going to happen, unfortunately, it's going to happen here. Uh, because of like Undertaker Goldberg, under, uh, Shawn Michaels coming out of retirement, stuff like that. Um, I, I, I mean, we've talked about it off air. I, I truly believe that if this match were to ever happen, even in the States, it wouldn't be a match at all. It would be more about the spectacle, and we'd get about basically a, a one to two minute condensation of the greatest hits of Sting and The Undertaker. We'd get everything. Uh, pretty quickly, or at least things that Sting can take safely, and then they would go home, which actually would be fine. I prefer it at a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam, but we can't always get what we want. Uh, the only thing that, that I would hope for is that Sting doesn't need the money, and that Sting would have the integrity to not do it in Saudi Arabia and do it for us, do it for us Americans, do it for the fans. But, um, you know, uh, Ted DiBiase was right, man. The older I get, the the more I see. Uh, everybody has a price, and I definitely don't think it's impossible. No, I I I think I mean, 
to do this thing safely because the Goldberg Undertaker match was a wake up call for any time you're going to get legends in the ring, especially two older legends that are going to work a power type of style and how they're more limited now than where they were in their prime. This is going to, it would be like 10, 15 minutes of entrances, maybe a piece. <laughs> I, I don't know. But I mean, like, <laughs> it, it, but I mean, realistically, like 10 to 11 minutes worth of entrance. And then probably the epic stare down, which will be just this iconic moment that everybody will just salivate over and make all types of, go into all types of histrionics about it and everything. Michael Cole will probably be injected with exactly what to say to make it. Uh, a moment, quote unquote, without it needing it, of course, because literally having those two guys would be enough. I mean, in terms of in terms of spots, I mean, like the Undertaker's style, like his spots, I think would be safe enough for Sting. I could definitely see. I mean, Sting could probably do a, you know, it'd probably be the it'd be the World Tour version of the Stinger Splash versus the Revenge <laughs> version, but. <laughs> Um, I'm sure we will get. A, a, <laughs> I, I could see us getting a Scorpion Deathlock that doesn't go because Taker is a massive guy, and anytime, anytime Sting's had to do it, like you know, sometimes you'll have to do it with them already on their stomach, which is never, never, ever good. It's never good whenever a wrestler who does a Sharpshooter, a Scorpion Deathlock, or any type of thing like that tries to tries to do it when the opponent's already on their stomach. But I think you definitely could see. And this, I would love if this is the finish. I would love if Taker would put him over. That would be the best. And it would be something finally for Sting to go out. Like, he'd go out with a decent match. Oh, Sting would have go for to the win. Yes. That's unquestionable. Uh, yeah. Taker goes for the tombstone. He does the escape um, over the shoulder. Just like, <clears throat> and it's it's perfect. Like, it's a perfect ending for that type of match for, for Sting. So, uh, the problem is, like... If we get it, of course, like all the moments of them being in the ring together is so cool. It, it will be a match that is just so sadly like just a, a sliver of what our imaginations had well over a decade ago. But it does feel like if it's going to happen, it'll happen in one of these crown jewel or kind of shows because I don't know how well I don't know what it plays like in in WWE, especially if you're if they're revving up, if they're going to do this, if they're going to rev up. Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, and Taker again. Then I don't know where Sting and Taker fits in the mix there. You know what I mean? I don't know. Undertaker wouldn't be hurt by a loss to Sting. Uh, But like that's Undertaker is pretty much in that lexicon of wrestlers now that uh, would not be affected by a loss. You know, because he he doesn't wrestle full time. It's not like when Jericho was jobbing to every, you know. Tim, Dick, and Harry, uh, a couple like with Fandango and stuff like that, but because he was still a very active wrestler, uh, Undertaker, I really don't think it would matter at this point. I don't think so either. I don't. I was just and, as and soon I'll as they announced, I'm like, mm. oh, I was just gonna Go say ahead. another thing. If Sting wins, if if they have this match, which I still don't think they're gonna have, but if if they were to have it and Sting were to win, my only condition is, I honestly wouldn't want that at WrestleMania. <laughs> Uh, because I'm I'm tired of seeing Undertaker lose at WrestleMania. You know, it's it's Man, like with Brock Lesnar was one thing, but then the Roman Reigns thing, it was like, well, that's a waste. Uh, you know, 
it's he didn't need it. So I, I don't think I could take Undertaker losing at Mania again. But uh, other than other than that one little bit, yeah, I think Sting should definitely get the W. He should have one good thing happen to him in WWE. Just one right. would be great. Right. <laughs> All right. The next topic is definitely more fun, and I spent a lot of time going over this to figure out like like the how realistic it could be. And everything, it's the same. We've been hearing this since, since really since 03. There's always been this thing that's also been coming up for Steve Austin. Will Stone Cold have one more match? And it's been, I mean, I literally since, I swear, WrestleMania 21, I've heard, oh, they're going to, they, they, they're talking about this. They want Austin to do this. And every year, there for at least the first few years it was a thing i feel like once we got to 09 2010 it was kind of like all right he's not doing it it's done and then it just kind of seemed to to you know just kind of lay there and he would do these appearances like the wrestlemania 30 he would do these things something has been different in 2019 the raw reunion the madison square garden now he's going to be on the first smackdown and these things are really good these appearances these moments and I know he's got the show, which, I mean, they're get, he's getting the rub for the show by being on Raw. I get that. Are we close to having Steve Austin have a match in 2020? I've got three opponents. I've got three scenarios that they have cons to him, without a doubt. But I, th- th- I think there's a degree of probability that they could happen. Here's the first one. Steve Austin and The Rock wrestle again at WrestleMania. So, I think based on him doing that, that he did that pod, and they always are doing these interesting things back and forth on Twitter between each other, talking about you know talking about the good old days or whatever. Next year at WrestleMania, it's heavily rumored Rock goes into the Hall of Fame. If he goes into the Hall of Fame, you know he's doing something on the Mania card, and I have a hard time believing that they don't try and squeeze, even if it's like a small match, they get something out of it. So even if you don't do a match, which, you know, I'm not crazy about, I would love to see an Austin Rock moment at WrestleMania next year in 2020. That's number one. The second one, Steve Austin versus Goldberg in 2020. I think there's... Goldberg is... I can't believe that there's... uh, that this seems like it has a higher probability now than it did years ago. But it does because Goldberg has they've been they're keeping him around. They're having him do these very small matches with guys like Ziggler. I'm really interested what you would think of this. Would you want to see this? And do you think they could pull it off? Austin versus Goldberg. That's the second one I was throwing out. You asking me now? Yes. Oh my god. Um I don't know what it would be, because uh, typically the way that Goldberg's matches have been, he's been fighting, other than Brock Lesnar, he's been fighting lesser guys, guys that he can take one move from, brush it off, and then <clears throat> go into the spear and jackhammer. Yeah, that's basically been the format for a Goldberg match. Uh, with Austin, like, I, first of all, I can't imagine Austin <clears throat> at the age he's at now taking a jackhammer. I like that's one move I just don't see happening. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. 
I, I think the probability of a rock match is 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 more feasible. Because um, I, I, I'll be honest, I, I, I've, I've enjoyed Goldberg this last run. I think this is far superior to his WWE run from the first time. But I really don't want to see him fight Austin now. You know, I, I'm actually almost more inclined to see Hogan get back in the ring. <laughs> and I think you're right. Like, I when I listed it, the only reason I put it down is, like, Goldberg is actively wrestling. Like, not a full-time, but they're using him. And Austin, and he literally, more than, right. Austin just said on his podcast, like, could I do a match? Yes. And he did it. He was very clever how he worded this. Like, he seemed to duck doing another match, but you could also see where there's part of him that wants to do something. Now, I mean, that's an opinion. I mean, that's 100% an opinion that I'm throwing out, but it just felt like the way he was saying it, that he does think about it, and he does think about scenarios for it and we know it's one of those it's one of those matches that should have happened never did they've talked about it themselves on a pod how they should have done it and could you do something you could i 100 percent agree with you the problem is i don't know what you would do because the goldberg taker match was a massive red alert like be careful in the future if you ever put these guys in the ring we just talked about this but it is and even more specifically for goldberg if you put Austin in there, what is he going to take a spear? Maybe, but you're right. The jackhammer, all these moves, because I still don't know if he believes that wrestling is a work. I'm just, <laughs> I, I, I hate saying that. I don't know if the guy believes that he he works at such a snug, st- such a snug style, at such an age that he's at. With let's be honest, he doesn't have that many years of wrestling really under his belt. That's it's still problematic. Like God bless Ziggler and the way he can bump. I'm glad that it works out as a as a way to to still make it, you know, entertaining and everything. But it it is it is still something that's a little problematic. But here's my third one. I think this one between the three, I think, is most likely something they could do. I could see them doing it at Mania. I think they've laid a little bit of groundwork for it. Sasha Banks and The Rock versus Becky Lynch and Steve Austin. That's pretty good. I didn't think of a tag match. <clears throat> yeah. The pros of this, like, first off, you, you, you can keep Rock and Austin out of it. They don't have to be in there the whole time. Becky and Sasha are their perfect complements. And I'm not going to say, I shouldn't say perfect. They are good complements of them in the women's division. And, I mean, you know where we're going with this. At the end of this, you have Becky and Austin drinking beer to finish the show. Right. <clears throat> if, you did, if you did it as a main event. And you probably shouldn't do it as a main event. But you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those big WrestleMania type of moments. That, it could work. I don't know. I mean, that's, it's, it, it avoids you having to try and do Austin and Rock in a singles match again when we know they shouldn't. They shouldn't. Well, well, you know. you know, I think they would actually do okay, but I don't like the. I it goes. It's the same thing with movies. I don't really like it when definitive trilogies end with a with a fourth movie. <laughs> you know, it's like they've had three <laughs> matches at WrestleMania. They're all good, and I, I, to do the belated sequel, <laughs> you know, it's like oh, 15, yeah. 17, 19, 35? Or whatever number WrestleMania is on right now, <laughs> you know, it's the same thing with movies. 
and it's it, it might be it's a risk and it would hurt because it's like wow Austin and Rock main evented or or you know were the headliners or whatever you want to say for like three WrestleManias that's incredible they had a trilogy of matches now of course no one ever counts the Backlash match which is I always say far superior to their 15 match but um, you know like to add a fourth Mania match I think that would be okay and I and I would actually really be interested in the promo package. Uh, specifically between Austin and, and Becky Lynch, I think they could, like, if they created some sort of animosity between them, uh, where they could kind of promo on each other about being partners and, you know, you're through, oh, old yeah. man. You know, <laughs> the, the, like the the thing that's funny is, and, and this this shows you how well regarded Austin is, in at least in the public eye, is that this guy is older than the Undertaker. And yet the idea of him coming back and doing a match, age doesn't really seem to affect Austin in a lot of people, including ours eyes. Uh, it just it just doesn't. It's just like, no, he he went out on top. He was still good. And we know he's in good shape. We know he can do this stuff. Age just doesn't really seem to be a factor. Plus the, the fact that Austin, like, even from a looks standpoint, hasn't really aged. <laughs> like, he looks the same. Uh, which yeah. is fascinating. I definitely think Austin could come back and do a match. Unfortunately, the match that I want is the one that uh, it always seemed like was going to happen and didn't. That was with Punk. That was the match that I really wanted. And and But now they're talking that... What are these rumors that hit them within the last week that CM Punk is in talks with Fox? So He actually... He, so he... he, he so I can I'll build on that real quick. He not only has talks to him, he has done an audition of sorts. He's done something with Renee Young, and Fox is not affiliated with like WWE is not affiliated right. with this. Which wouldn't is this awesome. be something that he could comment yes. on WWE in a public forum, get paid for it, and WWE couldn't fire him? Like right, like that. And, it and does. How so does this? How does how does that not get turned into a storyline? Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly and, what I was thinking because. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I think you're right. This this is a launching pad to some storyline. I don't know what, but it is. It is a hundred percent a launching pad to do it. And to to put a, a period on the end of my sentences for the Sting thing, for the Austin thing, here is my biggest argument as to why these two things could happen. The overreaction that I feel that WWE has towards AEW. I feel like they're going way overboard on on bringing back the legends, putting NXT against AEW, all that stuff. It seems like they're doing everything they can to stomp out AEW. And it's funny to me because it once again goes along with my theory that uh, Vince McMahon loves competition. No the fuck he doesn't. He does not like competition at all. And I think this is a great proving point. And Austin, I did listen to his pod where he talked about his match at 19 with The Rock. And if you haven't heard it, it's very entertaining. Uh, and it was it's good to know that Austin... Austin actually legitimately sounds like he's enjoying watching the match. Because it's basically like a, a riff tracks or whatever. He's watching it and commentating on it as it goes. And you can kind of hear it in his voice. You can kind of hear how much he loved it, how much he, not just the match, but the business. And 
and I've always thought that he missed it. But Austin's career had such a great end, I thought. I love that match with The Rock. I, I love how it wraps everything up. I love the OMR. I think Austin had a phenomenal send-off. And, and I've always, as a huge fan of his, loved to pride myself on the fact that my favorite wrestler, when he retired, he retired. And he wasn't one of those guys who constantly came back. You know, it's pretty cool to have your final match at WrestleMania against your greatest opponent. So, I'm, I'm, I'm torn. I'm honestly torn. I like your rock idea with the tag match. I'm still holding out for the punk thing somewhere deep inside. Because just, <laughs> just for the promo packages and how great that could be. And mix that in with the return of CM Punk. Because um, I believe he stated that if he were to ever go back to wrestle, it would be with WWE. I think he said that he had gotten a, a text from Cody Rhodes uh, with an offer. And he just didn't respond. <laughs> He's uh he's basically like the Bill Murray of pro wrestling, I guess. Uh, but it's all very interesting, and we are coming into October, which means it's almost time to really be thinking about these things, to really be thinking about WrestleMania. And um, I mean, hey, this is what would get me to watch it again, <laughs> if nothing oh, yeah. else. So it, uh, I'm, right. I'm in a wait and see mode, basically. <clears throat> yeah. Well, all right, so wanted to bring those things up. Now we're going to be coming right back here with Beach Blast 92. All right, so as always, before we, uh, before we ever get into the show, we always have our guy Nick. Nick has always been on the sidelines for us, just watching things, making sure that like we've got the proper background for these things, so... Chuck, let's get into this. We are in 1992. So the week of this show, I think you can guess this. What is the number one movie during Beach Blast? And again, this is June of 1992, June 20th. What's the number one movie? June 20th, 1992. What was a big movie that summer? Is it Mighty Ducks? Think bigger. It's bigger. the biggest movie. It is the biggest movie at this point in time for this Aladdin. genre nope nope think i i mean i'm gonna the only reason i'm gonna say bigger is because like when you think about the anticipation for this it was through the roof batman returns you, there you go the first of three weeks at number one at a 45 million dollar weekend the highest grossing movie that. of 1992 <laughs> yes I, I remember too i remember I had my happy meal toys i was so excited <laughs> and the highest grossing superhero in Warner Brothers movie to that point. The number uh, the number one song in the U.S. is I'll Be There by Mariah Carey featuring Trey Lorenz. Number one song in the U.K. is Erasure by ABBA-esque. Number one song in Australia is Take It From Me by Girlfriend. There we go. I hate everything. So, I hate them all. The WCW World Heavyweight Champion is Sting. The U.S. Champion is Rick Rude. The WCW World Tag Team Champions are the Steiner Brothers. The Television Champion is Stunning Steve Austin. The United States Tag Team Champions are <laughs> the Fabulous Freebirds. The Woo! Light Heavyweight Champion is, <laughs> is uh, Brian Pillman. Over on the WWF side, the WWF Champion is Randy Savage. The Intercontinental Champion is Bret Hart. And the Tag Team Champions are Money Incorporated. How can you compete so, with that? 
This, um, okay, let's get into some. The, but seriously, the, the that's main... amazing. Those are the champs in the WWF right now. Like that's yeah. amazing. That, that I mean, you yeah. can't compete with that. <clears throat> so, what's important to note first is that yet again we have had a leadership change within WCW. It's mentioned, I think, in the previous show. Now, like, it's time to really talk about what it means. Uh, we will definitely be talking about some of what it means in the show because it definitely bears mentioning. So let's talk about, with Bill Watts being in charge, what types of changes did he make? Let's start here. And, and these are courtesy of Scott Keith's Blog of Doom, so I want to give reference to that. First, the use of the ring barricades and the ring post is forbidden and will also be cause for an automatic disqualification. Wrestling outside the ring is discouraged. Absolutely no low blows. First offense is a $1,000 fine. Second offense, $2,500. And third, $5,000 in a fine and will be considered a breach of contract. If a wrestler is hit low, he is to make every effort not to sell the move as a low blow. All wrestlers are due in the building one hour before the scheduled starting time of the show with fines again being implemented for being late of $1,000 for a first offense. Hmm. Wait, 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 wait. Is this kayfabe or is this for real? <laughs> this is for real. <laughs> this is for real? Okay, because like you had me for a second. I was like, wait a minute. This, is our, this sounds real. So fighting outside the ring is discouraged, yet there are no mats outside the ring. I think that's also why they try to discourage it because if you start to wrestle out there, there's a good chance. Well, what, you're gonna, well, you're what hurt about a the bit matches more. that are no DQ? Like, that doesn't make any well, sense. So, I heard. I, I'm going to give the Raw Attitude Pod credit on this. Like, something that is never. Like, it. I don't know if by falls count anywhere they're necess- they're necessarily thinking no DQ, which is bizarre because there's a chair shot. <laughs> I mean. So wait, so yeah, so we can wrestle outside the ring. Like this was always a setting in in the old wrestling games that confused me. Right. Like you could do falls right. count anywhere, and it's like, well, does that mean I can't suplex his ass on the floor? Like, 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 do, do I have to still do small packages and arm bars? You know, out by right. the commentary yeah. table. It, it always confused me. <clears throat> Missing an event, except in the case of the most severe injuries, is considered a breach of contract. The only excusable exception. To this rule is an act of God. <laughs> Wrestlers who are injured and can't perform are still expected to make the town in order to show the fans that WCW will no longer falsely advertise talent. The only exception would be a crippling injury which doesn't allow for traveling. Taking over the PA during the show is to be discouraged. Lewd hand gestures are prohibited as, in, as, as is any cursing loud enough for the audience to hear. This next one probably went over really well. Fraternization between heels and baby faces in public is not acceptable. This including traveling together to and from the arena, to public appearances, restaurants, and even to the gym. This also includes faces and heels socializing together in social situations and the gym. No guests are allowed in the dressing room, including family members, media, etc. Each member is allowed only two complimentary tickets to each show for friends and family. Any number of tickets above the number must be purchased at face value by the wrestler. In addition, Watts went over even more rules at the first set of tapings, including one of the most infamous. 
No more 25-match marathon TV tapings because it burns out the crowd. No more moves off the top rope. No blood. No steroids. So, want to read one last thing. This is from the PW Torch in regards to the WCW light heavyweight title match. With Bill Watts coming to power in WCW just before the pay-per-view, several moves were made by Watts that directly several moves were made by Watts that directly impacted this match. First, Watts banned moves off the top rope. If a wrestler came off the top rope, he would be disqualified. Many fans would become enraged by this move as it nearly killed the best thing WCW had going in early 1992, the WCW World Light Heavyweight Division. Taking top rope moves away took away a lot of the exciting offensive moves and also made the division more of a mat wrestling division. Also, Watts believed Pillman was overpaid and wanted to renegotiate Pillman's contract. Watts threatened Pillman with taking away his push if Pillman didn't renegotiate, despite Pillman being the best young worker in the company at the time. I think you can see the foreshadowing where we may be headed in his match, so get ready. <laughs> wow. How about that, man? That's crazy. <laughs> makes you excited. Especially, makes you excited, well, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It makes me, more, like, if anything, more confused, because I don't understand some of the things that happen on this show if all of those things are legit. Like, I'm thinking that he's banning the top rope thing because of uh you know like like to get heel heat like rick rude gets in his iron man match right. stuff like that yeah. that that actually makes sense uh on a on a early 90s level but to do this for real like well i mean we'll get into it more but yeah basically this beach blast 92 i really just nicknamed it top rope turmoil because like this is an issue that never really goes away and it just right. gets stranger as everything goes because the, there are certain things that are allowed that are just the same exact thing, sometimes worse than jumping off the top rope, and they're fine. Um, yeah, I can't wait to, to tear this apart, because th that's awful. <laughs> so we're in Mobile, Alabama, in the Civic Center, and I miss places that were just called the Civic Center. That's, <laughs> yeah, I, I do just too. miss that. I love the Civic <laughs> Center. Uh, when, when I would go to my dad's every other weekend and bring my wrestling toys, I forget the name of the neighborhood that he lived in, but I named the arena, which was my bedroom, the whatever the name of the neighborhood was, Civic Center. <laughs> I, I love the Civic Center. So we've got about 5,000 people here. We open with Tony and Eric and an egregious amount of pyro. It's amazing the amount of pyro to start this show. And it appears it is Hawaiian Shirt Day. The uh, conversation, <laughs> the conversation, uh, is definitely brief between the between the two. Then they bring in, they bring in Cowboy Bill Watts, the new president of WCW, who basically he just runs down and praises the card. He really, what's really funny is he really believes the light heavyweight division. He really believes in the light heavyweight division, despite all that stuff we just read from the torch. The Iron Man Challenge will feature no Pauly Dangerously or Medusa, and we're going to have a Falls Count Anywhere match along the coast, which always it makes oh. me laugh throughout the show when they talk about another <laughs> between Sting and Cactus Jack. JR does the exact same thing with the card. It's the ex he does the exact same bit that Tony and Eric did. And he introduces Jesse, who is sitting on a beach chair on the entranceway with a group of women in bikinis surrounding him. They all walk to ringside where Jesse then sends them back. And that starts us off for our first match, Charlie. Scotty, I put, Scotty, it's so easy, Flamingo, as he looks like a Guns N' Roses character. 
It's so easy. It does kind of look like Steven Adler. Yeah. I'll give you that. Versus Flying Flying Brian, the light heavyweight champion of the world. What'd you think of this? Not much, Will. Uh, it's very apparent <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> like, at first I was like, oh, this will be a great opener. Like, this could be a lot of fun. But these rules really hurt this match because... And I honestly wonder if they wrestled this match in protest because the the whole match begins with really slow, boring chain wrestling that doesn't mean anything. And I, I always... I wonder if Flying Brian was like, the hell with this. And just like, I'm going to give you the most crap match I can. Um, so, Scotty Flamingo, I believe... He dives over the top rope to Brian Pillman on the floor. And right off the bat, here we go. How is this not a DQ? Uh, You think coming off the top rope of a turnbuckle, jumping into the ring is bad? Uh, This is way worse because, like, from the floor to the top of the ring is probably what? Four and a half, five feet? It's it's, It's extra. Yeah. And this doesn't get any kind of, like, reaction from the ref. It's a little infuriating. Um, the match, once again, gets uh, a little too reliant on the rest holds. Uh, Scotty Flamingo decides to take a, a page out of Ric Flair's book because uh, he gets his, his tights pulled down, and we get to see Scotty Flamingo's ass, and it's really weird to hear some girls in the crowd like scream like they would for Ric Flair or Shawn Michaels for Raven. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy. Uh, Brian Pillman, uh, he even he dives over the top rope. Uh, he goes, and, and this is actually horrifying. Uh, even when they showed the replay, I, I kind of cringed because uh, this is on the uh, the ramp. Pillman uh, does a suicide dive over the top rope. Uh, Flamingo sidesteps him, and it looks like Pillman goes head first into the ramp, and it makes this thud. I, I think he tried to protect himself, and even if he did, I hope he did, uh, it still looks unbelievably painful. And I didn't even write what the finish was. I promised myself I would remember who won. I've let myself down. Uh, I don't remember who won this match. I think it was Scotty well, Flamingo, wasn't uh, it? It was. Yeah, he wins the, the title. Yeah, he wins the title in a piss-poor, mediocre opening match that pretty much sets the pace for what's to come, I give this a five. Yeah. I, uh, the ending comes completely out of nowhere. Like, I really, I mean, this match screamed, oh, Pillman's gonna go over in this, no problem. And then, as you said, like, it, it's so grounded throughout most of it. It's just so painfully grounded. And Pillman is a great worker. He can, he, he has a lot of things he can do without going to the top rope, but let's face it, he's not called Flying Brian because of his chin locks. All right. Like, we, that's just not, that, that's not the thing. But what I really liked, like something I really liked in this finish was that I like it when a wrestler goes for a move and it it's a catastrophic failure and it leads to the finish. Like so many times nowadays, like that is just another spot and the thing keeps going. I like that he it it pays. It, it definitely goes against Brian to miss that move on the ramp, which does look scary. And it, I wrote it down as a best of luck spot to himself that he, he would dive. <laughs> onto that ramp 
And I just love that Raven just is like, I got to quickly cover this guy. He does like some like really like lame knee drop like from the second yes. rope or something. Which it's is, terrible. Is, now is I legal. remember. Yeah. 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 It's just, which is, you know, he ends up nailing with that and he gets the win. And I mean, like the crowd really is shocked because, I mean, he just won this title. And, and he had those great matches with Jushin Thunder Liger. You know, like it was really something neat. And now he's no longer the champ. It's like, whoa, that came out of nowhere. So I give this a five as well. I I I like that it I do the only thing I really do like is that yeah, I didn't expect this. Like it really caught me off guard to start a show, which isn't always a bad thing. It just depends on what follows it. And I think this this whole card suffers from a poor construction. And when you follow this up with where we're going next, in terms of a match, we got some stuff in between that we're gonna talk about. Eh, you know. But it's it's, it's just interesting it, to it me. Really, you got like you you got flying Brian. His name is Flying Brian, and he can't fly. Like, but like that seems to be yeah. against uh, the new policy. And I don't know what they were paying Brian Pillman, but uh, but since you mentioned that he thought he was overpaid, I'm not sure what he was paid. But I can tell you, just from crowd reaction and work ethic, uh, he is one of the better performers in WCW right now. So. I, I I don't know I, I I don't know what what the uh, what the issue is there. I've said it in previous shows. I think he's the MVP of this season. He is far and away the best overall talent, and in the singles, I think you can make an argument for the Steiners uh, for uh, for oh. a tag team without a doubt. But for but for singles, I think Pillman deserves it. But we switch gears, and this is probably the most entertaining thing to talk about throughout this show. And let's just get right into it. Ross and Ventura talk about Johnny B. Bad hosting. We start off calling it a bikini contest. This is going to change throughout the show, folks. I'm not. I'm not even sure they knew what this contest was supposed to be. But it starts off as a bikini contest, which Ventura is protesting. Now, this contest is between Medusa and Missy Hyatt. He says uh, Johnny B. Bad should. Uh, uh, oh yeah, he says Johnny B. Bad should be in the competition, which is one of a number of allusions to him being homosexual that Jesse makes, which is great. Fans get uh, to call the 900 number to vote. And I wrote, man, can you imagine kids asking their parents for permission for this one? (laughs) Um, I didn't think of it like that. So they've got, so Jim Ross says, this is going to be the first of three situations. He talks about like, (laughs) well, here we go, folks. It's like, all right. Uh, so uh, they're going to be coming out three times, like doing kind of this runway strut of, I guess, an evening gown, a bikini, and then a slightly less bikini. I get, I, uh, it, it seems rather confusing between the second and the third one, especially when you look at what Missy Hyatt's wearing. But uh, once again, Ventura is just like, I don't think he likes girls, Jr. Which Ross quickly rebukes. Like, so Jim Ross couldn't be quicker to get that comment off the page and get moving to the next thing. <laughs> so here we go. We Johnny B. Bad comes out and this is not going to be his strength in wrestling is where they have him positioned to where he's just cutting quick promos. It's not good. He cuts a quick promo and runs down how the bikini contest is going to process. Also, this is, as I said, Missy versus Medusa. Hey, we're all winners here, folks. Like, let's just face it. We're all, we're all winning here tonight. All right, so let we don't need to. It, I don't think it matters who wins between either one because we're all winning. Um, every 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 gown, which I wrote immediately. How do you have a gown in a bikini contest? 
Doesn't no, make any sense. Medusa comes out like she's going down the aisle to get married. I, right. I, right. I was like, what, what kind of gown is that? Like, that's a that's a one and done, right? Well, not for my mom. But, uh, like, that's... Like... <laughs> Ow! <laughs> well, anyway. like... Like then, because like the way she comes out, I'm like, oh, does she not want to participate in this? Is that what we're gonna play? Here is that Medusa's reluctant to do this. She's above this or whatever. Like in kayfabe, of course. And I was like, I, so I was really confused by it. But yeah, they both come out in these gowns. They they look they look fine. Medusa's in that weird dress, whatever. And we they throw up the number again so we can start voting. Which I'm like, but wait a second. What if like, do you want people to vote now? But the whole thing's not over. So do you get like multiple votes? Yes. That I all I want Charlie, I just needed John King to come out with his map and tell me where the votes are coming from. I needed CNN's John King to tell me like, well, if Missy Hyatt wins in in uh, Buncombe County, uh, she's taking this thing tonight. <laughs> and either way, I will be on my I will be on my ninth Twinkie by 2 p.m. this afternoon. I, every time I see John King, he looks worse. I'm just like, oh, I, he, he's like, it's like, it looks like he's eating Anderson Cooper every time. <laughs> there are a before and after so that, photo when they do the split screen. <laughs> <laughs> so Johnny does the best part. He, he has it. He has to finish the segment and he says, oh, hey, let's go back to Tony and Eric. But not so fast. JR comes oh, in. That's he's right. like, wait. <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> well, before we get back to Tony and Eric, we, we've got some things to talk about here. Like, oh, God, they didn't Which even give uh, Johnny they, Bad the format. <laughs> no, he. nobody knows what's going on with this whole segment throughout the night. Uh, Ross plugs the Great American Bash, which is going to be headlined by Sting defending the title against Vader, which I'm sorry, like, he has to defend against Vader. He's mm -hmm. got a Falls Count Anywhere match with Cactus Jack. It's like... I mean, Lord have mercy. I think by the time we get through 92, this is the toughest year opponent, opponent in terms of opponents that a wrestler's had to go through, I feel like. Because it just seems like it's a murderer's row of adversaries that Sting has to go against. And we're not even to the point where Jake Roberts is here yet, but he will be right. soon, you know? All right. Um, Eric and Tony talk about... Uh, um, Ron Simmons, he, Ron Simmons getting the key to Tallahassee because we're, we're we still want you to believe in the All American American here. Oh wait, that's that's Jack Swagger. I'm sorry, the All American Ron Simmons. He's just one American. All right, that sets us up for our next match. I'm so happy to have this. Uh, no, you're I, not. <laughs> I've now short. <laughs> I have shortened. So the Taylor Made Man. I'm just calling him Dollar Man. That's it. I'm just calling him Dollar Man. <laughs> From now on. The one dollar. So we've man. got Dollar Man. <laughs> versus Ron Simmons. <laughs> um, this is a, 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 a... It's a dud of a match. It feels Let's like a tryout match. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it? I like that. Like, yeah. It's just... Everything Terry yeah. Taylor does, it's just like... feels like I'm watching Wrestling 101. You know? <laughs> I I don't understand. He he no sells all three of the the three point stance tackles that Ron Simmons that, does. Okay. Like it's kind it, of it, <laughs> it's time. It's time. Uh, that move is shit. That move doesn't make any sense from a contact standpoint. The way that it looks, uh, and this is the worst I've ever seen it look. I don't really know what's happening. It almost looks like Terry Taylor is diving out of the way 
uh, from Ron Simmons's tackle, and but for some reason the wind hurts him. <clears throat> yeah, it's I, I the three point stance like there there've been a couple of variations like sometimes it'll lead to Duggan. a clothesline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes it it will lead like some guys do it and then they actually chop block the guy, which is more of a heel version of it. But I mean like. Uh, I don't understand. Like, it looks like he's going for his leg, like which is kind of a football move, but it just looks so right. lame. And I'm not sure. It, I, it may be Dollar Man's problem here, who's the, the reason this is not going over well. It's like he's, he's it, just. I, yeah. Let's all right. Finish. Close. Um, at some point, uh, I forget who who gets it, but somebody gets clotheslined over the top rope. No DQ. Not even the mention of a judgment call. It's just like whatever. We don't care. We've set up all these stupid rules, and somebody does a clothesline over the top rope, and we're not even going to mention, you know, like, we're not going to talk about it. Once again, just proves the irrelevancy of having these stupid things, but whatever. Uh, the finish, Ron Simmons hits a power slam after this incredible stumble the Taylor, or Dollar Man does. He, he, Ron Simmons puts his head down, and <laughs> it's this great, like, attempt to leapfrog over Ron Simmons, but he stumbles, like, oh, shit. And then oh, man, it's he close. comes off the rope, and it's so close. <laughs> Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Ron Simmons picks up the win and pretty much a, a squash. There's not a lot more you can say. Like, this is one of those, we're gonna sh- we're shining up Ron Simmons. Uh, definitely his push has been reignited with Bill Watts. We will get to that in future shows, of course. But um, I-, I give this a four. That may be high, but that's about as high as I could go with this. Like, it, it's designed to try and make what Ron Simmons look good. I think it somewhat succeeds, and that's it. What, what do you give it? A four. But what, a four? Yeah, it's it's not good. It's and once again, it's just a constant misuse of Ron Simmons. Uh, the clothesline over the top rope t- totally infuriated me. Uh, I was getting so bored with this match, I just started crowd watching, and that's when I noticed uh, Del Boca Vista in the front row. Uh, basically. <laughs> It's it's so weird how how much the front row of, on the hard cam of pro wrestling has changed over the years, with the exception of a father and son, and the kid's actually really cute. I like the, the 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 kid does a lot of entertaining things throughout the night, but with the exception of those two, it's all old people in the front row, and it, like I can't can you imagine WWE today doing something like that, like having nothing but oh, old man. people, or even old people being interested in pro wrestling, like, like it's just. It's really fascinating how much, uh, at least in terms of the fans, that re- pro wrestling's changed. Hell, it changed within the, the yeah. next five years. I, I, can you imagine those old people like like p- trying to stamp out the NWO? <laughs> like, oh yeah. Like, oh man. Yeah. Th- that just didn't happen. Uh, like seeing old people at shows like that, at least in this kind of capacity. Uh, the leapfrog is almost a complete disaster. Uh, but luckily, they just barely clear it and keep the match going. The Ron Simmons has a great snap power slam. It kind of reminds me of Randy Orton's. Uh, it's very yeah. quick and just impactful, and it gets a three count. I I like that, but um, the t- the Dollar Man is losing value by the minute, <laughs> and this and yeah cuz he just doesn't bring anything to the table. He just doesn't do anything. Like I've never I've, I I will always say I don't like Terry Taylor. But until you mentioned it before the show started, um it could have been worse. I did not realize the entire time I watched this pay-per-view 
that the Freebirds weren't on the card. So at least I'm, yeah. we have we have that to be thankful for. I gave this a four. Yeah. Ross then interviews Ron Simmons after the match, and it and really it's epic. Really blows him hard. He blows him Ooh. hard, and he leads him. He practically is leading him by his hand throughout the promo. And I told told you this on the phone the other night. It kind of drives me crazy. It's this move where you ask somebody a question. Austin is guilty of this too on his pod. When you ask somebody a question, it's time to let them take the ball. Instead, oh. it's like they tease that they're going to oh, no. hand the ball, and then they're going to keep talking for another, you know, couple <laughs> minutes. And it's like, all right, are we done with that question then, or do you have a new question for me wrapped up with the old one? I don't know, but that's you know, kind of what you happens. Know who the here. King of this Finally, is. when Simmons talks, who's that? You know who the king of this is? It's it's Vince Russo. Who is he? I have see. I don't know. I haven't heard enough oh, of him dude. talk. To really Vince Russo will ask you a question and then every other word is bro for the very next 10 minutes and I'm not exaggerating uh, Vince Russo is the worst at this yeah I'll have to send you some clips this uh, Simmons goes real hard on the overcoming obstacles he cuts the Hulk Hogan really a Hulk Hogan-esque promo um, about you know basically saying prayers doing vitamins all that stuff and achieving goals. The crowd likes it. It's not good. And probably the best advice is let's not interview Ron Simmons directly after a match because he probably needs some time just to collect himself in terms of like he's tired. Maybe let him recover a little bit because he seems like he's really like uh, uh, uh. like he's 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 really grunty throughout the, throughout the promo. I just man like I love Ron Simmons. I'm not a fan of Ron Simmons promos because it seems like now you're just you're I don't know it it does just feel like we're going to repackage a Hulk Hogan promo and just give it to another guy. Would you would you agree what do you think of the promo? That's exactly what it is. Uh it, it I told you on the phone. I feel like this is an audition for WWE. Hulk Hogan wasn't in the WWE at the time. So I I like this this feels like he's trying to break out into like a basically be either the Hulk Hogan of WCW or he's trying to get WWE's attention because WWE was still in the all-American phase as we saw a year later with the Lex Express so uh, it's and it the thing is it means something more I think in 1992 coming from Ron Simmons someone like him because he was because he's black so I and it, right. it, it really does mean something uh, as opposed to someone you know that well, not so much Hulk Hogan, but Hulk Hogan in 1992, who was beyond established. And when he was still giving promos like that after having already been, I think at that point, a four-time champion, it just seemed a little ridiculous. You know, it's like, dude, you've already achieved yeah. it. You know, it's time to grow. Ron Simmons hadn't yet won the world title. So I, on one end, I like the promo because of Ron Simmons and, the, and his background ethnically. But at the same time, uh, it doesn't really, I don't think it ages too well, because you don't see this kind of thing today. And and it feels, it almost feels a little pandering, like, please cheer for me. I'm, I, I, it, I, I, to, to not put too much of a fine point on it, it feels like, because he, he's in Alabama, so I can't help but think this way. So it's like, please cheer for me. I'm one of the good ones. Like, like it, it kind of oh, comes man. off, it does, it comes off like that to me. And it's like you shouldn't have to do that, but I know that 
you probably do in, in a place like Alabama. You know, especially with, with Del Boca Vista in the front row. Uh, like, it just... Uh, Ron Simmons, just does, he deserves way more credit than he gets. And he should be so much higher up on the card. Because that's another thing. He gives this promo after he fights Terry Taylor, of all people. You know, it's right. like... It, he, it's not like he just beat Ravishing Rick Rude or uh, Dustin Rhodes or Vader. Someone who has a lot more clout in pro wrestling than terry taylor you know so yeah not not to get socially political or anything but i just can't help but think about this stuff with with people uh, like ron simmons and and ron simmons uh like i said it's not a, it the promo works fine i guess for what they're trying to achieve as long as they're going to give us a payoff for ron simmons at some point down the road which we already know the answer to right 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 which is good because, I mean, we talked about before, like, ever since the Halloween Havoc match with Luger, he's kind of been in limbo. Like, he's had these one-off things, like, with Cactus Jack. He's had a couple of these, you know, those tag matches with where he was fighting Cactus and, uh, uh, gosh, who was the other guy? It wasn't Abdullah. It may have been, well, I don't know. Abdullah may have been involved. But it always just felt like this weird, like, what are we doing with this guy? This guy really was the, like, he, he has everything to be the face. Let's just go with it. That's the one good thing I'm going to say about Bill Watts coming in is it seems like somebody's like, all right, let's put the rocket strap on and go for it. We'll see where it goes. I mean, we, I, we're really pretty much on the precipice of that moment. So I'm curious sure. what we do on the way there. So that leads us to our next match, though, man. And here's a, another great one for you. It's oh, Marcus boy. Alexander Buff Bagel taking on Greg the Hammer Valentine. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Bagwell comes out first, and I'm, and I don't I don't think I, I I must not have been paying attention because I wasn't sure who he was facing, and the second I see Greg Valentine come out, the very first note I wrote was this is gonna be ugly, I I, I just I my, couldn't my, imagine my my first note is this screams dud. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. I mean a- absolutely, because uh, it's like well what that what what's this gonna be, and. Uh, I'll, I'll be up front. I did not like this match at all. In fact, I think I liked it worse than Ron Simmons and Terry Taylor. But uh, the one thing that I will commend the match for is... So Greg Valentine starts uh, working on Bagwell's leg. And usually I I hate this. And I always think of that Chris Jericho quote that you told me where someone had suggested to him backstage, well, let's work the leg. And he goes, no, fuck that. Everyone works the leg. He goes, it doesn't mean anything. Right. And ever right. since I heard that, it's, I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, it's true. It never really matters. And I always think back to, like, uh, I think it's Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania six. Um, he hurts his leg in that match. And then at one point, it, it just doesn't matter. Irish whip into the turnbuckle, charging dash into the turnbuckle and clothesline on Warrior. His leg's fine. But Bagwell's leg is actually worked on through the whole match. And, and it turns out... That's what ends up getting Valentine the win, is a figure four leg lock with the four points of pressure or whatever it is. Uh, so the working of the leg, one of those rare times where that strategy paid off. And on that level, I really appreciated this match. Unfortunately, it's Greg, Ham- Greg Valentine and uh, Buff Bagwell. So on that level, I, I just have to give it a four. Um. I told you this on the phone. When you see Valentine come out with his robe, he has this cough that looks like it's a ju- I just finished my smoke backstage cough. Like, all right, let's go on. And, I mean, 
Valentine is clear. Like I mean, I mean he there he has legendary status. This era though for him is not the best. I mean it just it it he looks like just an afterthought of the eighties. Like he does not seem like a guy who really belongs yeah. here whatsoever. Although like I was like I when I saw him come, I was like okay, this could be a good win for Bagwell if we're doing the whole like you know we're, we we had talked about how he's lost on the last couple of shows and they're trying to. I don't know if they were pushing this like directly, but they mentioned it. It was this this sophomore slump, quote unquote. His second year is where he's starting to struggle a little bit, and I just kept thinking, "Oh, okay, well he'll bounce back here." No, he doesn't, which really confused me even more because I'm like, "What are we doing? Are we pushing Greg Valentine? Is that what we're aiming for? Is we're gonna have a TV title match with Valentine and Austin? No, no, I I don't want to see that." And I did think it was funny that thinking of Greg Valentine from Seattle, and I wanted to see him go grunge, like what that would be like. <laughs> That's an instant feud with Scotty Flamingo. Because uh, it's funny you mentioned that, the Guns N' Roses thing with Flamingo. Because he, he, he basically, like, so let's take Scotty Flamingo and, uh, like, from an 80s rocker standpoint. So he was one of those 80s rockers like, uh, let's say, Warrant, like Janie Lane or something, who they started as an 80s glam band like Guns N' Roses, and then with the changing of the tides became a grunge band, like with Raven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only difference yeah. is the grunge <laughs> stuff was more successful than the 80s stuff. So, but yeah, Greg Valentine, yeah, that, that's that's interesting. What, what was the name of that wrestler that had the Skid Row tattoo that we really liked? Oh, it was, it was uh, Nature Boy... Buddy Rogers. Oh, no, 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 it wasn't. Buddy Landell. Buddy Rogers. <laughs> he would have been like 80. And he's like, yeah, monkey business. Yeah. It's Buddy Landell. It's Buddy Landell. <laughs> Youth gone wild. And he's 80 years old. <laughs> wasn't it Buddy yeah. Landell? It was Buddy Landell, okay. and and I loved him for that. Unfortunately, I so I, I think I told you I read Sebastian Bach's book uh, last week, and unfortunately he did not mention Buddy Landell. <laughs> <laughs> I was very upset. Good book though. Good book. My it's his his, his pod with Colt Cabana before he died is awesome because he has my favorite line of any pod where he says. I didn't just fuck it up. When I fuck it up, I fuck it all the way up. <laughs> he talks about whenever. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's so. It's good. a great line. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was. It was good. But um. But yeah, Greg Valentine and, and Nirvana would have been a, a great a great turn for the hammer. <laughs> um. All right. Here we go. So now. Ross and Vent- oh, I, I gave that a three, by the way. I don't oh, know if I said you. it, but I, I gave it a three. No, you, you, but that, that's, that's fine. <laughs> um, Ross and Ventura take, take us back to... They take us back to, I guess it was January, where Cactus and Van Hammer had the, the Falls Count Anywhere match at the rodeo because they're hyping up the Falls Count Anywhere match. <laughs> Wasn't that where it was at? It was the rodeo or something? <laughs> I just like, like, if you just take some of these sentences from our shows out of context, and it just sounds like we talk about the <laughs> shittiest subjects. It's like, what? Like, a, a what at a rodeo? Like, God, wrestling is dumb. 
But, but yeah, I mean, as soon as they showed the clip, I remembered it. I was like, well, it is memorable, I guess. But yeah, it's with, so, with this the is, Abdullah the Butcher with the shovel. Yes. <laughs> this is such a 90s or early 90s wrestling thing where it's like, because we're doing Beach Blast, this is not just a Falls Count Anywhere match, Charlie. This is a Falls Count Anywhere match along the all over the coast. All over the coast. Uh, right. I mean, they're in Alabama, right? Right, you know, uh, you know, they're still, they're still, they're still trying to recover from that hurricane. So okay. you know, oh. they, they know that. <laughs> money, money. <laughs> oh, they got it. And <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, that's all I kept thinking was like, I just want to see them brawling like down the hall, down the highway, what if under they a couple dunes. What if they made it out to Wyoming? Is the referee like, I know. that's not my jurisdiction. Uh, like you guys are just fighting for nothing. So, like, he stuffs him into the overhead compartment, you know, and, and, and <laughs> takes the plane ride back to the coast. Okay, now you can pin him. <laughs> Here we, so that sets us up. We've Cactus Jack against Sting. This is a non-title match. Falls count anywhere on the coast, wherever on the coast. And, um... I had to laugh immediately, Charlie, because imme- the, they they go right back into this same thing, which I swear has been going on for over a year. They hint that someone is hiring Cactus Jack. And I'm like, how many assassins are being mm. hired to take out Sting? It's like, the past year feels like somebody keeps hiring people to go beat up Sting. But if the problem <laughs> is, it's like, it's like the assassins who they hire to take out Inspector Cluzo, and they all just suck. <laughs> Like, no, like, none of them can kill him. None of them can get the job done. <laughs> I like... I, I mean, this is great because we start this on the ramp. Um, it is a, it's a great back and forth. No surprise. I mean, like... So, when we ran down the rules earlier, which should have been clicking in your head, was thinking, um, wonder what this would be like for a wrestler like Cactus Jack. Funny you say that, because within minutes, Cactus Jack hurts himself by doing an elbow drop from the apron onto Sting on the concrete. And guess what? He hurts his knee. And the match really, really has to change gears. And they do a great job. They do a great job of maneuvering through this. But to follow that up immediately with, Christ, a sunset flip from the apron onto the concrete is a little much. But you know what? (laughs) I did wonder, Charlie, is this match actually Cactus Jack versus himself? <laughs> yeah, we always hear that just... story about uh, about Vince McMahon telling Eric Bischoff to put over the broom. Uh, yeah, C- Cactus yeah, Jack right. would have had a match of the year <laughs> with, with the fucking broom. Yeah. Yes. So um, Sting comes. I love that. Like, I'm not sure what the communication is like when this stuff happens. I I think nowadays it's a little more distinct. It's a little more clear whenever something happens and you have to kind of pivot in a wrestling match. Something that was not planned happens. I don't know what communication was going on about Cactus's knee. I assume that there... I, I assume that he, somebody within the three of them, between Sting, Cactus, and the referee, knew that, yeah, man, his knee's not in great shape. Sting doesn't give two fucks because he takes a chair and just bashes it. <laughs> he does! I call this the fuck you chair shot of the night. <laughs> it's like, oh, right to his knee. It eventually, we, um, it, th- this was interesting because I was thinking, 
how are they going to are are we going to do what we did like they showed us the rodeo match are we going to go around the arena and we don't we stick pretty much like in the area of ringside in the ramp um sting eventually hits a a clothesline off the top rope onto the ramp which i once again was like so we're good here we're good here is this okay it feels like he just jumped off the top rope but maybe it doesn't matter. Or maybe we don't know what we're oh, talking about. Sting oh, ends you're, up you're, winning the match. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sting, so you're wondering yeah. whether or not Sting, this is no DQ. <laughs> right, like, because they don't, they don't say it. And we're not in the, like, late 90s, it really became understood. But in Falls Count Anywhere, I'm like, all right, well, we hit him with the chair. I guess that, that's okay. So I guess we're null. We're doing the whole null and void on the top rope. Fine. Okay. If that's the case, fine. But I don't think this would have been something nice for Jim Ross, who loves to clarify and, and analogize and all this stuff, to kind of say. Since we're we're moving into this era where you can't do anything as a wrestler like you used to. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's a great move. It looks awesome. I'm glad he did it because it looked cool. He picks up the win. It's a pretty dominant Sting win. Cactus does an amazing job of not only killing himself, but he makes Sting look awesome. <laughs> Probably one of the best shine jobs anyone's ever given Sting. Um, the knee definitely changed things up, but they found a great way to maneuver through it, even with the injury. Um... I don't know. I'm curious if Cactus was supposed to get more in, if the knee kind of changed that up to where there, there wasn't as much they were going to do. I don't know. Um, we never left the ringside area. I don't. doesn't really matter. This is still a pretty solid match. I gave this a 7, and I don't know if that's too low, but I felt like it was definitely a good match. Well, <clears throat> I told you uh, before we watched the show that I, I've actually seen this match before. Uh, it was on... I think it was on one of Mick Foley's WWE DVDs, and you know, it's back then, bef like before the network, it was like anything WCW that you hadn't seen, you'd want to see. So I remember popping this in and then just having a ball. Uh, for this watch, I actually this was one of the two matches that I watched twice uh, in preparation for this episode, because now I'm I'm honestly a little more mixed. Uh, I love the way it starts. And it, it doesn't start with like a grapple in the ring or something. It's just let's just fuck each other up. And Sting, I love this move he does because at first it's like, what the hell is he doing? He like Irish whips Cactus Jack and but holds on to him and throws him back into the rope just to get like momentum just so he can do a backdrop. And <clears throat> and it looks great, but here's the problem, and I'll get to it more with the leg spot. I don't like how Mick Foley falls. I don't like how he does it. Like, when you take a backdrop, especially on the floor, like, instinctually, like, I would think you would want to, like, get your hands ready, like, to brace for some of the impact. And he just takes it full on on the back. Like, with with no, like, support from his arms or anything like that. It's just full on. Like, his arms are basically, like, outstretched. It looks awful. Uh, Foley can go fuck himself with the sunset flip from the apron. I don't understand this. I don't understand the point of this, because this isn't the first time he's done a move like this. This is so unbelievably dangerous. He could crack his head on the floor, and it's, you know, like, when I saw this match years ago, I thought it was really cool, because uh, it was basically a WWE-style Mick Foley match in 1992 in WCW. But having gone through these shows, 
fully bumps like this for everybody. Every, everybody. So it doesn't really seem all that special. Now, the part of this match that I think is special is WWF wasn't doing anything like this in 1992. This must have been really different. And you can tell, like, when they get close to some of the fans that the fans are actually scared, especially uh, Del Boca Vista out there in the front row. Uh, when they get right <laughs> by them, like, especially, like, even the father and son combination. Like, the father just, that's the most reaction he gives through the, throughout the whole night. He's like, oh, my God. And then <clears throat> they get outside and... Sting does a vertical suplex to Cactus Jack on the floor. And it's really weird because he, uh, for a second there, he became Tatanka. I don't really know why, but right before he picks up Cactus Jack, you just you can just read his lips and he just goes, ay, 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 ay. And it just... <laughs> like... <do> you... <laughs> it's great. It's just it's great. It's, it's, it's weird. It's a little strange. And, and the fans are all in on it. And, you know, we always... Won't say exactly what we used to say, but I love. We always used to talk about those fans that, oh, I have to touch him. You know, it's like if I could just right. touch that yeah. wrestler, and they just walk up and pat him on the back real quick and hee and run away. I I never understood that. Um, this was that thing I texted you. This is when that old lady in the front row stands up one too many times, and uh, the guy pats her on the back, and she turns around to say like what, and the guy just points his finger down, like. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> it's, it's down. And yeah, and I, I didn't. I didn't send you any more videos, but like, uh, there actually was a point where I missed something crucial because I was paying attention to the story that was unfolding in those two rows. Um, the guy actually waved security to come tell this old bag to sit down. <laughs> it, it's it's quite a it's it's quite a back and forth. Um, so let's talk about this. So Cactus Jack comes off the second rope, and after having seen this match twice, the way he lands is absolutely insane. He lands with his knee aimed at the ground. Like, there's no way that it could have ended any other way for him. And it's just, once again, stupid. It's just dumb that, that, that you, would do, you would do something like this, because it almost looks like it's on purpose, that he's trying to take his leg out. And I don't, I, I don't understand it. I, I don't understand the way he wrestles that way. And, and I don't know how much of the match it changed uh, because like that's kind of the turning point where the fun kind of stops. Sting tries to do a stinger splash and ends up getting uh, uh, basically toppled on top of the guardrail. But it looks safe. Like Jack actually leads him into it uh, and holds on to him, and it's and it looks fine. The chair shots are are pretty effective of course there's no chair shots to the head uh so it kind of has a modern day feel to it which i'm not complaining about no chair shots to the head clothesline off the top rope uh this i think this is a, a quite a it looks cool sure uh but i think it's kind of a lame ending um <clears throat> i will say that uh bill Alfonso has a great moment where he counts a two count on the outside of the ring and he goes that's a two daddy and then like the camera's too close and he goes, get that camera out of my face. <laughs> he gets a little animated. And I always love watching referees in these Falls Count Anywhere matches from back then and even now to an extent because of how gingerly they hit the ground when they count. You know, it, it almost doesn't even look like they're hitting the ground. Uh, and, and, the, and Alfonso doesn't actually really get into the counting until that top rope clothesline. And the match on 
I mean, it's it's a, it's a good match. I think it's the best match that Sting has had in quite some time. Uh, it, maybe even the entire pod. I I really like what this does. I always kind of thought that this match did for Sting what the mind games match between Mick Foley and Shawn Michaels, what that match did for Shawn. Although I think that match, yeah. uh, just based on memory, is actually much better. Uh, this finale sucks, I think, for the most part. But the match... It's pretty good. Uh, best one so far. I would give this a six. So I think you're fair in your seven. So I, I we don't spend too much time before we get into the next one, but I think briefly Eric and Tony talk about Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat having a 30-man Iron Man match, which I swear when minutes. they said it in the intro, I was like, <laughs> 30 minute, yeah, sorry, 30 man, yeah. <laughs> Best oh, of luck. He's how you do. <laughs> a 30 minute Iron Man match, which I was like, whoa, you know, that's really neat. Because, you know, the the way sometimes history is pointed is that Iron Man matches didn't necessarily exist before WrestleMania 12. I'm not saying, like, you know, that's a, obviously that's not true, but you know what I mean? Like, if you, if you grew up watching WWE, yeah. If you grow up a, as a WWF fan and you get to WrestleMania 12, it feels like they're unveiling something brand new that's never yes. happened before. Yes, it's true. So, um, so Charlie, with this one, like, how do you want to go about breaking this down? Boy, I mean, this is the do match. Do you want to do? This was the other match that I watched twice, uh, and uh, I took the most notes on this match, so I definitely have a lot to say about it. I wrote down all the falls. I I have all the falls written down. I kind of like, How each of them? Okay. Uh, well, I you just wrote you down just things that caught my eye. Um, okay. First okay. of all, uh, I never knew that this match existed. <clears throat> I never knew that there was a thirty-minute Iron Man match, and that's kind of. Basically, what the Iron Man match has become. Um, I remember the Iron Man match was always like the test of the Medal of Man, uh, even like in the video games uh, with your friends. Uh, I actually have one recorded from like 18 years ago on a VHS tape that I had with a guy, and I, it was always like let's like it's, it's an endurance battle, and there's really no two guys that you'd want to see do this match in WCW at this point than Ricky Steamboat and Rick Root. Uh, so this is. I was excited. I was really excited to see this. So, Polly and Medusa uh, were, have been banned from ringside, and give WCW credit, they stick with it. They stick with that, and they, it's just between these two guys. There's really no interference unless you go with Jesse Ventura's idea of interference at the beginning, which is absolutely hilarious. He accuses Ricky Steamboat of keeping his kid in the ring so that Rick Rude won't attack him. <laughs> and, and it's 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 pretty clever actually uh, and because this is the Ricky Steamboat not the wrestler but the character version of him that I just can't stand the family man basically and, yeah. Yeah, and it's just yeah. like dude you're the dragon like you're one of the most badass wrestlers that has ever walked you're one of the few wrestlers that I truly believe could win a real fight with like a real dude and, and here you are with your family and it's like oh that must be the good guy uh, so <clears throat> he's a tame dragon uh, speaking of Tame Dragon, I absolutely love this. Uh, Ricky Steamboat locks in a Boston Crab to Rick Rude, and it almost turns into a Dragon Tamer. Uh, he, he, <laughs> he, I like that. He leans back, like, like almost. And R Rick Rude, so I have two. These aren't necessarily complaints about Rick Rude, but they're just things that I've noticed in his matches in WCW. Um, typically in a Rick Rude match, 
Uh, his ribs are always going to get hurt. Apparently, those washboard abs are, are very brittle. And because I believe it's the first offensive move where Ricky Steamboat throws him up in the air and drops him down on his knee, and Rude has to battle this the rest of the match. And the Boston Crab is to not so much hurt the back, but hurt the ribs. And you can actually hear Rick Rude say, Ma, my ribs! Uh, and, you know, it's, it, it, it's a whole thing with the match. And another thing that Rick Rude seems to do is, uh, I call this his Ric Flair top rope bump spot, because I feel like this is in every Rick Rude match now. Uh, he will be, have a guy in a camel clutch, and then the guy will turn it into an electric chair. Uh, it, I feel like every wrestler in WCW <laughs> yeah. has given Rude the electric chair. <laughs> just, what oh, a weird um, bump to take from what everybody. A weird, what a weird to bump to take. Have. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's 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 like, uh, it's I, I don't know. It's just one of those, I I'm trying to think of another wrestler who has a spot that they just love to screw up. Like, I, I, okay, there is a wrestler who um, did a move where he... I want to say it was Sin Cara or somebody where he would, like, jump at the guy. The guy would get... Oh, it was Del Rio. Del Rio used to jump at a guy, and you wouldn't know what he was going for, and he would fall right, be right between the top and middle ropes. And <clears throat> he would always yeah. do that. You yep. remember that? Yeah, and just like, well, what were yes, you I going do. for? Or, um... God, I hate to get off on this tangent, but another one. Owen Hart used to have one where he would whip a guy into the turnbuckle... And then he would jump into him, but the guy would move at the last second, and Owen would crotch himself on the middle turnbuckle. And it's like, I would have loved to see him land this move, because he would have been face-to-face -face with a guy with, with their crotches together. <clears throat> like, just... Um, <clears throat> quick, quick thing about Rude. When you talk, like, talk about with Flair, like, apparently, like, when he would be backstage, like, in this era, like, when Flair comes back, he would look at him and go... You're the world champion. You look like shit. <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, compared to everybody else, Rick Rude uh, looks uh, looks absolutely amazing. Um, yes. it, it, Rick Rude has such an odd physique because I wouldn't even necessarily call it a pro wrestling physique. He has more of a of a really well toned dancer's physique. You know, like he's got the Patrick Swayze thing where it's like that guy's in such good shape but it doesn't really look like he could he could just be like a, a real towering force um but yeah i have heard that story about rick flair before and yeah rick rude's not wrong uh, <clears throat> like i remember it was in one of those wwe network specials where natalia was talking about rick rude and she said something like to rick rude his body was like his mona lisa but, you know it's like at least that's how he treated it like it was like a temple and I, I can totally see that because yeah, his abs look absolutely amazing uh, when he takes the robot. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> oh yeah. So this was the match. I, uh, I'll just read this verbatim. I spent so much time watching that that old lady in the front row with that guy behind her that I, and and her digging, she keeps digging through her purse to put lipstick on. Uh, it's really weird. <laughs> I spent so much time looking at this. The first time I watched this match, I completely missed the first fall. Uh, I had to rewind it, and I know Rude got the fall. I remember it would it being like anticlimactic because I think it was like Rude's first offensive move. And yeah, it's a roll what up. Was it? It's, it's a roll up. A, it's just it's just a right, roll up. He, but yep. but he had done a it's move a beforehand, or or, or he had st I think he would stuck his foot up or something and just kind of booted Ricky Steamboat because that's always kind right because. 
Go ahead. But, I'm sorry. Go. You know, keep going. I was going. just gonna say, yeah. That um, the point I was gonna make. That's always the kind of tricky thing in these Iron Man matches. Is typically if there is any outside of WrestleMania 12, whatever the first fall is, would never be the end of a match in a regular match. Uh, and it's it's this weird balancing act where there's a level of believability in what a first fall or even a second fall should be. And in, in all honesty, like to this match's credit, this first fall is the only one that I that I find suspect because every other fall is pretty good. <laughs> but um, yeah. W- yeah, what point were you gonna make? <clears throat> it's just the first. If you break this thing up into the t- into two fifteen minute halves, the first fifteen minutes is a flurry of falls. There are uh, most of the falls occur in the first fifteen minutes of the match. I think there are four of them within that time period. It's a yeah. lot. And what's interesting is the first five minutes of the match is Ricky Steamboat just killing Rick Rude's ribs. So that roll-up comes up, and then that's when Rude gets cooking. And then I think the fall two is where he pops off the Rude Awakening. Right. So uh, within about a minute or two, he hits, with bad ribs and all, a phenomenal-looking Rude Awakening. Like, just, it looks amazing. And he gets a three count on it. And and boom, he's up like two to zero at this point. Um, yes. And, then, and this is this is my favorite part of the match, uh, the very next thing that he does, because this is the kind of thing you would do in the video games. Um, Rick Rude goes to the top rope and just drops his leg on top of Steamboat and gets a DQ for it. And, and it's like, why would he do that? And then he immediately picks up Ricky Steamboat and does a small package and gets the fall back. And... That's the exact yeah. kind of crap I used to pull in No Mercy. You know, it's like if I could just whack him with a chair real quick, you know, and then and then do do like some yeah. minute like minuscule move and get a three count, like it'll be worth it. And that's the most intelligent part of the match. I absolutely love that. Uh, Rick Rude has a hard time doing his pose. He keeps trying to pose. God bless him. And he can't quite pull it off. It's another one of my favorite parts of the match because you can see the kid that I keep talking about in the front row. This is exactly what I used to do. The kid actually does the Rick Rude pose with him. Uh, like this, kid can't, this kid can't be more than seven, and he's doing the, the, the gyration. It's hilarious. Um, let's, can I read this note? Oh, Jesse the Body has my favorite line of the match. It's, it's like he, he mentions Rick Rude's courage, and he says, he's trying to give every female here the thrill of their life. <laughs> you know? and despite his injury. It's so funny. Um, that's the electric chair spot. Um, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, Rick Rude goes for a tombstone pile driver, and I, I don't know. Maybe this is one of the first times this has ever happened. But like, it's not just like the way the Brock Lesnar and Undertaker do it. Steamboat actually works for it. Like, climbs Rick Rude's legs and reverses it and does his own tombstone and gets yeah. a three count. Um, and then he does a backslide. On, uh, and gets a three count, and I think that's what ties it up. I want to say, yes, is that right? Yes. Okay, so, so then yes. Steamboat out of out of nowhere hits a rude awakening, and this is pretty cool because I don't remember seeing this a whole lot back then. The other guy doing the finishing move of his opponent um, that belongs to him, and of course it's like uh, Rick Rude gets his leg on the rope, so he's able to get out of it that way because. That's something I don't think I've ever seen where the guy gets pinned by his own move. Uh, I don't think that's ever happened. 
this is really interesting. So they get in this kind of um, this rest spot, and they are sweating so much. Like, you can actually see it, like, consistently dripping off of Rick Rude. It looked like a Tony Scott movie in there, uh, how much these guys <laughs> were sweating and just working, and you can tell they're exhausted. Um, so, Steamboat, this is really cool. Uh, I wonder if they were inspired, because it had happened at WrestleMania 8. Steamboat does the WrestleMania 8 pin that Bret Hart did to Roddy Piper, although Steamboat can't quite do the full rotation he just kind of turns it into a cover and that's what gives him the lead and i can't tell you how many times this has been in every iron man match i've ever played in a video game the final minute of this match is just like a video game rick rude doing every small grapple move or weak grapple move he can to, and then covering ricky steamboat trying to get the fall back and he can't do it can't do it it's so cool and then Unfortunately, the match just kind of absolutely almost undoes itself because the final time he covers Steamboat, uh, Randy Anderson goes down for the count, and right after the two, uh, Randy Anderson stops at two, at two and a half for nothing. Steamboat forgot to kick out of the last fall. Uh, I believe he does eventually get his shoulder up, but it would have been at three and a half. <laughs> so, like, that doesn't count. That should have been a fall. It made Randy Anderson look stupid. But that's the end of the match. Uh, Steamboat wins by one. I think this is a really cool match. This is a, with the exception of that finale, it's pretty well paced. It's not overly reliant on rest spots. Uh, they get a lot of their of, of their stuff in, and they have great chemistry together. Uh, I'd give this a seven. I went only a little bit higher with an eight. This is by far one of the best Iron Man matches we've ever seen. Like it really is, because again, what happened with WrestleMania twelve is. It conditioned us to not only this is how Iron Man matches are going to be in terms of how they're worked, but there's only one fall. <laughs> there's only one. And then, like, it was really cool, like, how in subsequent Iron Man matches we learned, like, we, we saw, like, oh, wow, you can get multiple pins. Cool. Right. Because for such a while, because of, because of that, um, because of that, that match, like, it just, it just didn't seem like that's how they were supposed to go. But that's what made watching this really fun is that, like, there are a lot of falls, but then it becomes, like, it. it's very smart. It's a smart match. It doesn't, um, so many times, like, I mean, Iron Man matches really do just kind of, they become boring, really boring. And there are times where they get really clumsy at the end. And I'm talking more, like, these are, like, the modern, the modern ones. Like, you know, the ones well past Brett, Sean, well past, um, well past Triple H and Rock. This one's really... Uh, this is a special match. And it's really... It's a shame that the title's not on the line. Because this feels like a good cat. This is the cap to this feud. So we're going to find out later in a way. Yeah. It just feels like the the, the, the title should have been on the line here. You know what I mean? Oh, it I don't understand why the, basically the two top titles in the company are on the line on this show. And considering the opponents and the, and the quality of the matches... Uh, yeah, that would have made this match make, make, uh, worth a whole lot more. And, you know, you know, that's constantly in the, the conversation is Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. I think we just have to talk about it. Um, I find it very interesting. This is probably a bold claim. But um, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels is one of the most famous feuds in all of wrestling. And, it, and I always thought it was more for the outside uh, non-kayfabe stuff than it was for the actual wrestling. Because I'll be honest... I don't think there was ever a Brett Sean match that I was overly enamored with. 
uh, which is fascinating to me because those two guys can have, could have a good match with anybody, but they never really seem to have a great match with each other. And the Iron Man match is probably the best that it ever got, but the problem with that match is I never really thought it made sense um, because it, that match has so many rear chin locks, rest spots, like with random spurts of a actual action, and the match actually doesn't really get going until the 55-minute mark. Um, and it's weird because it's not like either of them have a fall, so there's no reason for them to want to waste time doing chin locks. Right. You know, it's just right. bizarre that, that, that that's how they decided to structure that match. And I think I told, I should have tagged in that Twitter thing last week. It was something like, what are the most overrated WrestleMania matches? And um, that one is always near the top of my list. And that and lots of people actually mentioned it. Um, I, I think... I honestly think uh, The Rock's Iron Man match with Triple H is better. I like uh, Shawn Michaels' Iron Man match with Kurt Angle. Uh, like, th there's a time and a place for the Iron Man match. Uh, I, I hate the one with Cena and Orton. I think that one's just trash. Oh, yeah. That was an awful match. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. I, I miss this because, it, to me, the Iron Man match is like the ultimate uh, capper to a feud. It's like, let's do it. It's basically the World Series of a pro wrestling match. And yeah, like, yeah, and yeah, look at this one. It ends four. It ends four falls to three. It's a best of seven, basically, is what this match becomes. Yeah, yeah, sure. And 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 there there are ways to do it and ways to not. Like the one thing in Iron, another thing an Iron Man match always has a problem with. The match can never seem to end with like six falls to two. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's like there's ten right. minutes left. He's got to beat him five times. <laughs> you know, in order to pull this off and. and so they always kind of have to keep it close. And 30-minute Iron Man match is a lot easier to take because, let's face it, uh, we've even covered some matches that are just 30 minutes uh, for some reason. And these guys put on a hell of a show. And it's, it's, it's good. So here we go. Um, Johnny B. Bad returns to introduce round two of this competition, which has now become, for the fir become to, to crown the first lady of WCW which is dumb already because Missy Hyatt is the first lady of, of WCW. That's, like, her, her name. Like, Stunning Steve Austin. It's like the first lady of pro wrestling, Missy Hyatt, whatever. Once again, we don't know what we're doing. Medusa looks... She, she looks pretty good with the uh, biker jacket over the one piece. Ross sneaks in a line. I, this line, I can't believe he got this in. Do you, I, I, hope, I, I hope I've got this right. He says, there are a couple things I like about her. I just can't put my finger on it. I'm like... Oh my oh. god. <laughs> I missed that. That's no good. Um, no, no, no. It feels like Jerry Lawler like like piped in like through the feed. Because <laughs> that is a traveled, Jerry Lawler line. He gave him the frequency. Yeah, he went he he yeah. he, he piped in oh, like through time and space. <laughs> it's like yes. well, cuz every time I see Medusa I can't help but think of Jerry Lawler's one line that he said about her on, when she was a Lundra Blaze. Because I remember as a kid, it was like the, my, my introduction to Jerry Lawler as basically a sexist. <laughs> he, said, he said, oh yeah, Lundra Blaze, she's got a million dollar body but a ten cent face. And oh. I remember my dad howling Man. at that. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, I was like, what does that mean, Dad? And he had to explain it. And, and I wouldn't say it's ten cent, but you know, <laughs> uh, it's she's pretty. 
and, and Johnny B. Bad, <laughs> you know, he has her moments. Johnny B. Bad can't help, like, his his choices are so limited. When he's out of things to say, oh, he just yeah. resorts to, oh, so yeah. pretty, so pretty. Yeah. And, and here's another here's another question I have. Uh, so Medusa and Missy Hyatt uh, keep changing their costumes. Why does Johnny B. Bad keep changing costumes? I Exactly. Another group, like... <laughs> Like, he changes for all three. Yeah. Another another great Ross line here. Missy comes out wearing a bikini. And Ross says, that swimsuit defies gravity. There you go. Wow. So, <laughs> so, after, so after that, now we have the real bikini contest next, which I was like, wait a what was what was this then? You're having a swimsuit competition, then a bikini competition. I'm all well, over the place here. Don't they also say that, uh, and th this is how you know it's bullshit. Whenever there's one of these competitions, uh, whenever they give us an update on what the score is, the heel is always winning. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Medusa is leading like 51% to 49. And then Jesse Ventura has this line where he screws his math up. He goes, well, I called four times. Do you think that counts for four points? Or... Or percentage, two per I should be up there, damn it! You know, this man became governor. Yeah, oh God, yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't really understand this because they're not really. Basically, I don't think I, I think that they're basically just stealing money from the kids, uh, because as we'll see later on, I don't think these phone calls mean anything. No, no, they don't. No, no. So. There's one more round to go and strap yourselves in because that's going to be a dandy to get through. But first, we have a match. It's a pretty good one, too. It's just, it's it's kind of in this weird spot on the card. It's a six-man tag match that kind of is carrying over from Wrestle War. It's Beautiful Bobby, Arn Anderson, and Steve Austin versus Dustin Rhodes, Barry Windham, and Nikita Koloff with Ole Anderson. Troubleshooting Ole Anderson as a referee. I'm dying to hear somebody call Ole and be like, hey, Ole, my Windows 95 is not working. Unplug it, plug it back in. No. Just turn it back on. I don't. What do you, What do you want to do? <laughs> I'd love to hear troubleshooting Ole Anderson with technology, but um. Do you, do you like tennis? <laughs> I dude, right off the bat, I have to ask. You, I I have to say this, and I want to see what you thought. Austin's trunks look absolutely awful. They are don't they terrible. Have some kind looking. of design on them, or. Yeah, like all the all the letters of his last name are are a different color. Just ah. looks so bad. Well, maybe it's because this we're looks so like some to, to the way yeah. to what he becomes yeah. that it's weird seeing him wear anything else. <laughs> um, Jim Ross like kind of takes a shot at some I guess people criticizing WCW. He says writers just don't understand the new rules. They just don't understand. Oh, yeah. Sports writers, and then, and 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 I'm yeah. sitting there, and I literally yelled this at the screen. I went, "Explain it," because uh, he said that they that some sports writers just don't understand. I'm like, "Well, explain it to me," because clearly you guys are doing things that are way more dangerous than jumping off the right. top rope into the ring. It just it's so so dumb. We do get another over the top rope judgment call, to which now <laughs> now Ross tries to pinpoint the rule where he says. If you're thrown over the top rope, it's a DQ. And I'm like, that's not consistent either, Jim. Um, we've, we have notated on this show multiple times that 
There have been guys that are clotheslined over the top rope, and we talk about that being a potential DQ. Right. So I don't well, know. Well, how, how, <laughs> about, know? how about the one show where uh, I forget who it was, but somebody was running at another guy, and instead of just taking the guy head on, the guy just ducked and held the top rope down, and that was a DQ. I think so. Was, you are bringing up the one I that, was thinking too. It's Ron Simmons and Lex Luger's, the two out of three falls. Yes, that's it. What, which th- I think that went into my theory that the, uh, Nick Patrick was uh, a little uh, racially biased <laughs> towards Lex Luger. Very fine referees on both sides. <laughs> on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the match. That was called as a DQ. And that's way more blatant than a clothesline over the top rope. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry. That's way yeah, less blatant. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, that's, that's no, like I got nearly what you I knew you meant. Yeah. <clears throat> During the match, we do get the actual on-screen update. This is what you were talking about. Medusa 51, Missy 49. And again, this is this is where I first put, once again, John King needs to come in and give us an update on Buncombe County and how that's going to factor into the voting here. Like, where is Missy going to get these votes? Where does she have the votes left? See, and then see, I want to hear Wolf of, uh, just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of, uh, what was his name? He died a few years ago. Was it Tim Russert? The guy who had the uh, yeah, whiteboard. Yeah. And, he, and he kept, like... He kept, like, drawing, like, the states and cross... This was for, like, the 2000 election, I think. And it was like, oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> just Like, this is just the most piss-poor form of news journalism. <laughs> this match is a tremendous hot tag. I didn't, and I should have been better about writing down who is the one who comes in. But, like, it's when it gets to the point where all six guys are going at it, it's really, really good. Overall, there is a moment you're going to talk about that is not, it's kind of weird. But um, the finish, Arn Anderson jumps off the top rope. Disqualification. Rhodes, Wyndham, and Koloff win, folks. Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah, this match is uh, honestly the worst, uh, the worst victim of the top rope rule. Yeah. It, it really is, and it, it it's funny because I think Anderson goes the top rope twice, and I'm not sure if the first one was supposed to be the one that Ole caught him on, but then he goes back again. <laughs> but um, this this match, first of all, besides that, fin- like it needed to be earlier on the card. Like maybe this should have led the card. I don't know, but this feels like in a weird spot. I'm not going to say Ole was terrible as a ref, but he his every time there was a cover. It was like this very slow. All right, let me get all the way down to the ground. Now count I'll be right with one, you. two. <laughs> I'll be right with you. <laughs> um, there's no shortage of talent in this match. Everyone kind of gets their stuff in there. The top rope rule is stupid. I, I end up. I ended up with a five on this. What did you think about it? Uh, well, oh boy, we you covered pretty much everything that. Uh that I had written down with the exception of one thing. Um, there is some sort of mention that uh, Nikita Koloff should be in line for uh, a U.S. title shot. And Jim Ross says, and this is the quote, the, U- the United States title to Nikita Koloff means freedom. I, I did not understand that. I do not, I don't understand <laughs> what that means. Um, it's like, and, and this still happens today. If you just put together a, a couple of words that America kind of has ingrained into its brain, what's left of it, and it sounds even remotely patriotic, then you get basically 
the majority of people like, yeah, without truly analyzing it and wondering what the hell it means. Uh, it, it's just a bunch of words put together that basically amount to nothing. It's nonsense. It's bullshit. I, uh, I mean, you just nailed on something that is probably going to happen now. Rusev just became a U.S. citizen. So yes, I saw that. I'm waiting for it now. <laughs> I'm waiting for it. <laughs> just waiting for it. Well, freedom, you know. Uh, it, too many judgment calls. Even, I, I truly believe the wrestlers couldn't even keep up. With, with with what was going on. And, and it didn't even really look like Ole saw Arn Anderson come off the top rope. Um, it, it looked close. Uh, but, you know, he did. Arn Anderson threw a hissy fit, uh, as he should, because this rule is beyond dumb. Uh, I gave this a four. Okay. And I think that's... I, I, I didn't understand why we couldn't have a finish when we, we just had, like, I mean, as, as big a blow-off for a stadium duel that you are stable duel that you can have at war games like one stable versus another and one clearly comes out on top so now we're going to have this other match that ends with a non-finish it's like that doesn't make any sense that doesn't make any sense like especially like our our, our is this thing are we are we still going with this what's going on because this kind of feels like in this weird epilogue spot because sting doesn't seem like he's really involved in it as we're going to find out, Rick Rude and Steamboat are moving on, it looks like, to different things. So, I, I don't know. It's just weird that this match even exists on this card. I know. But, it feels out of place. And it actually, um, it, it could have either been the opener or the main event. Uh, there's enough names that's in true. this match. Uh, and plus, the Dangerous Alliance, that's typically, like, their spot. Like, they're the top heel group. But um, I wanted to ask you. Right. Can I lead in with this next part? Of course. Because this, this was my most rewatched bit uh, simply because of the mistake. So we cut back to Eric Bischoff and he is interviewing Ricky Steamboat. And this is a quote. R Ricky, uh, Eric Bischoff says, blah, 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 blah. Steamboat will meet Steamboat for the U.S. title. And it's so the, microphone, the microphone goes to Steamboat, but my eyes are glued on Bischoff. Because I want to see if he's going to acknowledge it. And you can tell about a second or two later, he looks at the camera and this big gulp goes down his throat. And and he kind of does this weird little shuffle with his head, a complete and total acknowledgement of what he had just said. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. It's so good. It is the, it is the nonverbal, he does the nonverbal equivalent of fuck. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can tell it's, like it's, he's... <laughs> it's amazing because like Eric Bischoff it's it's interesting because you think about Eric Bischoff before the NWO before he joined them and the one after uh, without any prior knowledge of who Eric Bischoff like was as a person uh, after the NWO thing and WWF and Vince McMahon blah 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 uh, and Eric is just basically a really vanilla guy uh, in early WCW days and when this moment happens, I could see a little bit of the real guy, you know, like a little bit of the, yeah. Uh, yeah. of the, of the tyrant come out, like, like just a little bit and like, oh, like, cause I mean, not to put it down. I love Eric Bischoff. I, I'm a huge fan of his, uh, but it, that was really interesting for me at least to see a little bit of the, of the real guy come on. See, I'll give uh, Steamboat all the credit. He did not acknowledge the mistake at all. Like really? Right. Like that you just embarrassed me. Like Steamboat is such a pro. Yeah, um, 
It's the same problem with the Ron Simmons promo, because if he just didn't talk so much, he wouldn't have gotten tripped up, but he asked Steamboat a question and then keeps going, and then that's when he stumbles into Steamboat versus Steamboat for the title. And it, once again, like, you know, I, I mean, I guess Steamboat gets a little bit more of a break than, than, than Simmons between match and interview, but it's another terrible promo. Like, it's, it doesn't, it's just kind of babbling and all over the place, like, what are we doing? Like, oh, I don't we, even all we're getting out of said. this is like, all the only thing that matters is he wants the U.S. title. But then that's when Paul Lee comes in and he just bails out everybody on this promo. And he says, I, he says, the, all, I give you all the respect in the world for winning, but there's no more title shots ever. And then that's when Cactus just Pearl Harbors him. And then they start brawling in the aisle way. I guess this is a feud now. Exactly. That was my same thought. I was like, <laughs> oh, wait. I was so disappointed. I was because too. it's just it, and I, I mean, it's, I mean, it feels like I'm a sure the work will be for good. Both of them. Yes, like it really does. Like I, that's the part that just really sucked. Was like I wanted to see, and I'm glad I didn't remember everything up to this point. But when he came back into WCW, and I knew, I knew he would feud with Rick Rude. I thought he would get the U.S. title off of him in this feud. But it doesn't seem like it's happened. I guess it hasn't happened, and it may not happen now. So, whatever. I here's something I I don't. You guys, you and Jason, are so much better at getting this stuff than I am. Every once in a while, there's something I notice and I write it down. This I had under this sign at ringside. This 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 doofus guy kid whatever holds up that Is says this the Steiner's and sign? oh damn it. It says Sorry. Steiner's and Musso rule. <laughs> and I was like, is it Moose or is it Musso? Because the, the O and the, the O, it could be both letters. And this kid is so amped up as Jim Ross and as Jim Ross is talking because Jesse bailed him out. He ditched and went up to the rampway because he needs to do the bikini contest with Johnny B. Bad. He's putting himself into the <laughs> event. But I saw that kid and it's just like this kid, it, once again... I, and you can tell when they go back to him later, security must have gotten to him. He's like, yeah, don't ever put that fucking thing up again. Because <laughs> he never, he, he kind of has this look on his face like, I'm, I'm so sorry the rest of the night. <laughs> but anyway, I, Jesse yeah, brings out John. <clears throat> go ahead. He brings out Johnny B. Bad, and he asks him if he likes girls. Immediately. Like, like right off the bat. Which is like, it's great, Jesse. It's, it's just I wonder. I hope that does well with your base in Minnesota. Johnny B. Bad says, "This is awesome. I love what Johnny B. Bad does here." He he says that Jesse is just jealous, and then I think Jesse shits his pants because he has this pause, like, "Oh, uh, I don't know what to say to this." <laughs> like this almost is, like <laughs> this is the Black Thunder, White Lightning movie that I wanted. <laughs> Not that I don't, I don't um, think Mark Merrill's black, but I mean, it's just like there's a buddy thing going on here, which I'm like, I see potential. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Medusa comes out looking like an American gladiator in her bikini. She looks like Zap or somebody like that from American Gladiators. Jesse runs down like he just he just buries Jim Ross's Medusa's going on there like, oh, you just can't control yourself, Ross, can you? <laughs> It's so mean. It's hilarious. It just goes right. It is. It's so then it's Missy's turn, but and I love Medusa kind of gives an early sell to it. She has this smirk on her face, 
And then that's when we go over to Missy. She doesn't come out. The crack staff of Jesse Ventura and Johnny B. Bad come over to see what's going on. And and she says to them on the microphone, like, uh, my bikini was supposed to be in this envelope, and it's not in here. Which is like, what? Like, <laughs> they show the envelope. This is not like a legal, this is not a legal envelope, folks. This is a tiny postcard envelope, if that. I didn't even um, see a stamp. I, exactly. Like, how did this get there? You know, how did this get there? And um, so then she, you know, it's a question, well, well, can she participate in this uh, contest? She takes Jesse's do-rag or hat or whatever. It is. I guess it's a do He calls it a scarf. It's It looks like a do-rag to me. I don't know. Whatever. Johnny Bad says that Jesse's head is as smooth as a baby's bottom, which Jesse instantly explains is due to his large amount of testosterone. He protests that the competition should be over. Johnny B. Bad takes another peek and says he's not sure if she can come out, meaning Missy. But guess what? She does. And she comes out wearing a bikini that's made out of Jesse's scarves. I guess she found other ones, too. Which really, I love how much this aggravates Jesse. It shouldn't. He should be like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, that should be, like, probably the reverse reaction is what he should give. But he doesn't. But wait. There's more. Johnny B. Bad says there's no doubt that Missy is the first lady. Medusa gets a little fresh and starts slapping Johnny B. Bad around. And it's and is borderline talking dirty to him. And she forces him into the tent, closes the curtain. Johnny B. Bad, no joke, it comes out maybe 10 seconds later with her top and a bewildered look on his face. Jesse's had enough at this point and charges like a raging bull into the tent to see what's going on. He pokes his head out and says Medusa really is the first lady of WCW. There are, there, there are a couple of lines that I've, I've, I'm going to come back to now that I hear. He, he, she says, as she's slapping Johnny B. Batteron, she looks at him and says, you want to do it? Is that what you want? You want to do it? I was like, oh my God. And then what's even funnier is she forces him into the tent. Jesse yells out, well, what's that guy doing to her? Jesse, <laughs> wait a second. The man was accosted. What's he doing? And then, right. um, just to, just to wrap, it, wrap it up before I'll throw it to you, man, Ross tells us that, I'm sorry, we're not even going to get the results tonight. We're going to do it tomorrow night. So it's like, what the like what a we have to tune into the 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 week the Monday show to figure out what happened. Yeah, what I'm do you think of this? Just go back through. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we I mean, know this, how this, this is, is going to go, but what did you so think of this whole bad. mess? Uh, like, first of all, I couldn't help but wonder what Jesse's do rag smelled like, like Axe body spray and sexual Tyrannosaurus <laughs> or whatever, like in that being on Missy Hyatt. Like, like that's one. Yeah. Here's another. So this is supposed to be the bikini. This is supposed to be the itty bitty teeny beady whatever bikini. Like they say that so many times. I'm so tired of hearing it. And uh, Medusa comes out wearing a bikini and then like chaps on top of it. Why couldn't she? Why does she have to wear that? Why can't it just be a bikini? Like like she's wearing actually more clothes here than she was in one of the other ones. It, it, it's 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 strange. 
Uh, it's like, what are you shy? Like you you've agreed to do this. Um, I don't I don't understand why she's wearing all that stuff. Uh, it's. I mean, Johnny B. Bad declares that Missy is the winner, but I really don't know where he's getting his information from. Um, like, because I remember them saying, well, we're going to take it from the phone calls, and then we're going to ask the audience. And I'm like, well, who do you think the audience is going to pick? I mean, granted, like, looks-wise, right. I would definitely... It's, it's interesting how time works. Looks-wise, I would definitely go with Missy Hyatt. Like, like I really, I really do think she is the first lady of wrestling. She was the first lady that I was even aware of in pro wrestling. Uh, even before Miss Elizabeth. Uh, so, yeah, she's the first lady, she, and she's more attractive, sure. Today, I'm going with Medusa. Like, I'm willing to bet Medusa. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because Missy Hyatt's had too much shit done to her face, and Medusa, well, you're pretty much working with the same level of, of normal <laughs> uh, in regards to her. So, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like, no. the, 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 this this whole thing has just been a colossal waste of time. If anything, it's made me hate Johnny B. Bad. Uh, simply due to just just how annoying this he is every time he talks, and this isn't how I remember him as a kid. But like at least like the banter with Jesse Ventura that was kind of fun. The highlight for me though, however, was to see what the hell is on top of Jesse Ventura's head, and I can't believe he would walk out of his house every day thinking that that looked good. Uh, so basically, yeah. it's, he's bald, <laughs> and, but I, like it's not quite what he has now. Nowadays, I believe it's referred to as a skullet. Uh, where yes. it's not a mullet, but, uh, you know, there's no hair at all on top, but, you know, he has basically, you know, the, the ponytail and whatever comes with that on, on the back end, and that's kind of what he has here. It just it just looks awful. Yeah. And the whole thing is awkward. I'm not a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> Ross, as well as talking about the results being on... Uh, on the main event show on Monday night. He also plugs, in a week, we've got a Clash of the Champions show. That'll actually be our next episode, too. Where the NWA Tag Team Title Tournament is starting, which I was like, why are we having this? Like, and don't get me wrong, spoiler alert, I went to that Clash. I don't, I'll be interested oh, yeah. to see what I remember, basically, based on watching the show. But at the same time, I'm trying to remember, like, and I'm trying to think now, like, why are we doing this? We've got the WCW World Tag Titles. We got you even mix in those IWGP titles. Like, what's the point of doing this? Uh, you know, like I mean, I'm sure there is some backstage explanation about the NWA WCW stuff. I get that, but just logistically, like, do you already have a US tag title, tag team title, and maybe that's on its way out? I, I don't, whatever. But it just seems like I I, I don't know about you, man. I was just thinking, what's the point? Well. <laughs> Uh, you know? That's me about eighty percent of the time watching uh, these shows. Not 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 in regards to like what, like <laughs> us recording, but you know, like the, the bikini contest, the dangerous alliance match, the top rope shit. What's the point? You know what? What are we doing right. here? Right. Where's Tom Zink? <laughs> yeah. Man, exactly. I'm missing the Z-Man on the show yeah, and his this, his reminding us it. of what show we're watching. <laughs> that's right, and his. Uh, his self-appointed <laughs> cameraman. <clears throat> we go back to Tony and Eric. Um, it, 
is it applicable to call Cactus a, an assassin? Once again, like, I don't mean to hammer that point. I just remember, they, they once again talk about him being, like, this assassin. Like, he's hired to just go take people out. And it's like, it doesn't do a great job because like he ends up losing of, these feelings. Of, uh, gro- oh. No, I'd like to see a remake uh, of a certain movie and just call it Gross Point Cactus. And just have Cactus Jack... <laughs> Battling Dan Aykroyd, you know, and, and wooing like Mini Driver, Cactus Jack, like it just no, like because first of all, I, I think he's batting uh, like zero for a thousand because he doesn't actually get his job done. <laughs> like, like I don't really know what WCW's idea of a hitman is, but uh, uh, it, it it ain't working. Like he, he's not killing the guy, he's not taking him out of commission. Hell, the guy that he's been hired to hit is the world champion. <laughs> you know yeah man I'll be interested now to see how this all works out with him and Steamboat but that's the last one I guess we'll get to him here we go to our main event it is Dr. Death Steve Williams and Terry Bam Bam Gordy taking on the Steiner Brothers who are the WCW Tag Team Champions Walk us through this one, man. What'd you think of it? Well, I was really excited. Uh, the Steiner Brothers, like, because when you told me, like, a tag match headlines the pay-per-view, I was like, oh, Jesus. But when I saw it was the Steiner Brothers, I was like, okay, they're the one tag team at WCW who could headline this. And Dr. Depp and Terry Gordy, uh, wow. Uh, so this, uh, it's it's cool to see Dr. Death here. Um, so I'll just run through this quickly. Rick Steiner, uh he suplexes Dr. Death like he's nothing. And it really seems to shake up Dr. Death. Uh, and I don't know if it was kayfabe or not, but it was very convincing. To like, like, cause I, like, he's a big dude. And Rick Steiner picked him up like he was nothing. And it was just like, okay, wait a minute. Like, these guys mean business. Um, and then all of a sudden, the match just kind of takes a little bit of a detour into rest holds that I think go on way too long. And I noticed this because I looked, I checked the timer. The match starts around the uh, 130 minute mark and it was, and there was about 30 minutes to go. And I was like, is this really going to be a 30 minute tag team match? And sure enough, I believe it is. Yeah. I believe it, it goes the distance and it feels like it. I mean, it, just it does feels long. Uh, it, and it's just, I'll be honest, it's a boring match. Um, and, but then I, I kind of just started thinking and and I thought back to that weird comment that JR made at the beginning of the match where he said he was praising the Steiners like he usually does but then he just kind of drops this one line saying however he thinks Terry Gordy and Dr. Death are the favorites and I didn't really understand why yeah. he did that and then it dawned on me oh wait of course he thinks they're the favorites it's Dr. Death <laughs> you know <laughs> like yeah, yeah he, he, exactly. lo- he loves so I think he was just trying to put Steve Williams over because of their relationship. Um, and eventually the rest spots just become overpowering. You can tell Dr. Death is just buying the time. Uh, for what reason, I have no idea. Um, the match, I love when you can kind of figure this out. Because, of course, this match does go the distance, now that I remember, because of the draw. Um, WCW kind of has this problem in this time period where 
you know that there's a time limit on a match, and when you hear the announcer mention what time it is one too many times, you can already tell. You're like, this is going to be a draw. You know, and it's just kind of deflating. Yeah. And yeah. Scott Steiner basically has to play an idiot for about the last 20 seconds. Uh, he pops off. He does, like, some nonsense moves that he didn't have to do, and then he finally pops off a Frankensteiner with about two seconds to go. And then he just has to seem confused. Now, I always love that, too. Time's out. And he's like, what? How's that How's that possible? It's like, dude, like, the ring announcer was literally counting down from 10. <laughs> like, I don't know how you didn't hear it. Uh, this, exactly. this is yeah. probably the worst match I've, I've seen on during this season with the Steiner brothers. And they're thereby making it, like, the only bad match. Because I, I really didn't like this at all. I gave this a four. So Steiner, what happens is Scott pops off his double underhook suplex, which is awesome, and you can you can, he he poses after, and then he's like, oh shit! He, then he he picks him up, and he's like, I've got to do the Frankenstein. He knows it's going to be a draw, but it's sort of like, fuck you! I'm not going out without a Frankensteiner. And yeah, he just <laughs> absolutely <laughs> pops that thing off. Um, I only have a couple notes here. Ross. Um, uh, I feel like I think Jim Ross almost breaks into laughter when he says that Rick Steiner has a degree in education and Jesse is quick to go, <laughs> yeah, right, what, in kindergarten? <laughs> <laughs> Ross, really I feel like he's about to laugh right there. It's good. Yeah. I love this, too. They nicknamed him Dr. Death in ninth grade. What was he doing? Beating up everybody? <laughs> <laughs> Here's all right. Be a star. Here's why. What I like. I don't like the length in this match, and I feel like I do feel like the crowd is done by the time this match starts. Like, it's one of those like, especially when you throw an Iron Man match in there. Like, it is extremely hard. It is extremely hard to come back from that. You know, it was extremely hard to 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 get the crowd back. The one thing I like about this match, however, is. I like that the Steiners are in real danger. It's the only time we've really seen them in the in the U.S. Like the Japan matches, they definitely they they the those opponents take them to the limit. This here, they do feel like they're going to lose. I kept thinking, I was like, they're going to lose in this. Like you can just see they look spent. It's the one time they look like out like it looks like they're blown up at different points of the match, and that, and that's that's what I did like about it. Like. I did the exact same thing you did. When it started, I was like, this is the last match. How much time we got left? 30 minutes. Fuck. All right. All right. Let's let's do this. So I do feel like the rest spots are excessive. But I did enjoy the, like the, I did enjoy the fact that it just felt like there was a reasonable amount of suspense that like they could lose. I ended up just I was just a hair above. I had it at a five. It is like for Steiner's matches, like for what we've seen, like a five for them, like, I mean, there's, there's some of these guys who wish they could have a five with some of the duds we've seen throughout this season. But a five for them is pretty low because I think we've consistently had Steiner's match. We've had, I wouldn't say consistently. I'd say overall, just throwing it out there, what, like at least a seven and a half would probably be the average we've given a Steiner's match. Right. Something like that, you know? <clears throat> yeah, and that always feels upsetting when I have there. to give a Steiner match a seven. Yeah. 
Because you know, you, know, you want I'm them at the eights the or the nines, and they've yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that um, that brings us to a close for Beach Blast '92. What a time this was! What a time to be alive for Beach yeah. Blast '92. Um, I got the numbers um, added up here. Did you have enough? Okay, cool. Yeah, I got the numbers here. Uh, you have it rated slightly higher than me, but overall we gave it a five point one. Okay. This on cagematch.net says six six dot five nine. And I I think it's a lot of it's from that's I think the sting the sting cactus and the steamboat rude match is what I think inflates it for a lot of people. Real quick, Meltzer, four and a half for Sting versus Cactus, three and a half for Steamboat and Rude. And he even gave three and a quarter for that tag that tag title match at the end, which I thought was a little high. But regardless, not too bad. Um we're coming back, folks. We're going to be back in a few weeks with uh, Clash of the Champions 19. It'll be the beginning of the NWA Tag Team Tournament, which took place in Charleston, South Carolina. So that'll be fun to fun to revisit and see just a myriad of tag teams, some of which are teams we, we haven't seen, most of which we have, or at least wrestlers we've seen. So that'll be cool to check out. You know where to find us. We're on... Um, we're on Twitter at New Blood Pod, and we're on Facebook, New Blood Rising Podcast. Jason Keesler, he's at the Jason Keesler on Twitter. I'm at William Rinkin83. And I am at CM underscore stabs. We'll see you guys again for uh, Clash of the Champions 19. Kick out! Kick out, Cactus! Goodbye, my friend. That's the goodbye. Goodbye, Cactus. Thanks for the great memories, buddy. Cactus. Godspeed, Mick Foley.